have you ever had that like the the anticipation of something just something fucking... that just want to watch the world <laughs> just something going <laughs> fuckingly like horribly wrong <laughs> to another episode of the motor mouth podcast the podcast where a lot of great ideas go absolutely nowhere my name is joel tyree and with me as always is my esteemed co-host the tim gerard hello hello tim hi joel okay two topics center sanity leaves but i think sanity's left a long time ago <laughs> like it's it was never here it was never here what'd you bring this episode this episode i would like to talk about my favorite DC stories. Oh, shit. You know, I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> for, for my topic, I, I basically am deciding right now on the spot. And I had a thought of like a specific DC story that I might like would bring. So you, you've chosen for me. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's talk about The Office. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, we, I, we, we have talked about it to a certain yeah. extent. But we were we will always be talking about it because I endlessly quote it. So let's just let's let's make it happen. <laughs> well, I gotta I gotta cross that off my list because I actually had that on oh, my shit. list of topics for one day. But it was like you know it's kind of like you know Joel will probably want to talk. This is more his his you know. <laughs> well, I didn't want to bring something I'd know I you hadn't seen because that 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 didn't go too well last last episode. <laughs> <laughs> just try to avoid that shit where let's describe sketches that are really visually dense and all dependent upon the visuals to be funny it's i'm just, like i've seen two things and i really liked one of them i have the toes i have <laughs> okay favorite dc stories i feel like so this is going to be very of, lantern heavy <laughs> i have well, a feeling it, it, it is well, well actually i think you'll be surprised because i think I was thinking about this as I was kind of thinking about my favorite stories. I think the lantern, Green Lantern, needs to be its own topic. Some oh, other time. okay. So this is this so is I, the DC without lantern, like the the DC. Right. So I think like you know. So yeah. So yeah. To kind of yeah. <laughs> to kind of like you know the the asterisk is that you know when I don't discuss Green Lantern, it's not because I don't like that. It's because that's its own category. I'm putting it in the title. It's going to be my favorite DC stories, asterisk, not asterisk. Green Lantern, and The Office. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be I mean, two lines. We, like, it'll yeah. scroll for, like, a minute on iTunes before yeah. you see what's happening. <laughs> it'll be like a, a Leslie Nope headline. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, that's an Office thing, too, because she... Yeah. I, like that michael does that the one time yep. there's here's your headline yeah i brought that up yeah the other day when we were watching parks and rec i was like hey doesn't michael do this yeah sorry well, I mean, stepping sure, on your toes no your... that's okay well, i mean mike mike sure show run or wrote for and show run both of those yeah. at different points and greg daniels created both yeah. of them so there's a lot of cross-pollination between the two but yeah so so yeah so green lantern may come up but i'm not going to delve 
too. We could do a green. That well, trail. maybe that's the thing. Is like I should read some. Like if I did brightest day, darkest night, and the the those story, which are fucking huge, but like, or yeah. I'm like midway through, and we could talk about them. Like that would be a good in, so we could have a Green Lantern episode. I I don't. I'm not mad at yeah. that. Um, well, that's one of the things too. Is like I, I, I think I actually have here in Colorado, like all of the Green Lantern stuff, except there was a, another friend of mine, I think that I let borrow like the first volume mm. and haven't gotten it back. Haven't talked to him in like years. So I'm like, maybe I should call him and be like, Oh, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do it now. So <laughs> it's another year is going to go by, but I might just rebuy it at some point. But, mm. um, but yeah, that's uh that's a whole story unto itself, which like I said, it is going to crisscross with some of this stuff, but I won't dwell on the green land stuff. <laughs> Cause, cause that's, that's part of the thing I was thinking is like, there's plenty of other stuff too, you know, it intersects, but it's not, um, it's not the only thing. It's my favorite, like Green Lantern's my, my favorite DC character, but, um, you know, and there's two parts to that, like out of all the Green Lanterns from earth and, or, or the one that I know of from, from any, you know, sector of space, like Hal Jordan's still my favorite. I like things about the other characters, um, and how their personalities affect the constructs they make. But I just, I don't know. There's something just about the, like the journey that Hal Jordan went on. Mm. Um, and that's a lot of what kind of comes up in the, in all of that, not just the, you know, I mean, d- don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, the, the blackest night, brightest day is its own epic in and of itself. But, um, you know, I think uh, rebirth, I think is when, when Hal Jordan comes back and that's sort of like, sets the stage for that stuff but yeah that's but it's kind of everything also that comes before that to lead into why you know why he's getting rebirthed Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway this is not about (laughs) green lantern well real quick uh, on green lantern did did your love of the color green predate your love of the green lantern um i i I always i always say like when when you know when, when talking about green being my favorite color like I, I realized at one point that, that I didn't choose green, green chose me, <laughs> that it is, it, it's, like yeah, the it's, it's not a, right. Yeah. But it, but it, but it's not a choice. It's just like, when I look at things that are green, it just like, it pleases me more than, mm-hmm. than, you know, anything else. So it's, yeah, it's not like, and, and I wonder how much of the, the things I like in life are based on the fact that they are green. Mm. you know like like what you just said like is that why i was into ninja turtles when i was kid a kid because they're green you know so so yes it definitely it, it definitely helps that it, it was the uh, the green lanterns like if the first lantern was like you know blue lanterns i may not have been as into it mm-hmm. you know you had know, a great and, track record with blue superheroes blue beetle is kind of meh unless he's with yeah. booster gold and it's blue and gold right yeah I'm trying to think of the other blue Blue Lanterns I know very little about. Just doesn't There's, hit you the same yeah. way. Like Green Hornet, right? Green Arrow. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like, that, that works. <laughs> it's a better branding color. Like, what other colored... Or maybe that's not the way to say that. What <laughs> other color-themed fucking... <laughs> God. Well, although maybe maybe that is Jesus. the only time you can use that because it's still it, bad it just does not it doesn't roll off the tongue and it shouldn't right. it fucking it's, it's, shouldn't yeah well that's the other thing like where it's it, it's that key and peel sketch right like uh black falcon oh i'm the green falcon what the fuck is wrong with you like <laughs> black lightning like 
green applies to superheroes but doesn't describe their ethnicity the way right. other colors have tended to. We've gotten very <laughs> into the minutiae. Talk about your favorite shit. Don't let yeah. me talk anymore. Okay. So so part of why I, I wanted to bring this up is because like I do kind of feel that, you know, I, I mean, I, I will admit that I am more of a Marvel person than a DC person, but it's not because I've just sort of chosen a side. It's it's that most of the stories that I tend to like come from Marvel. Mm-hmm. And and I, I mean, I guess to be fair, maybe more so than that, uh well, when I was younger anyway, more of the characters that I like come from Marvel. You know, Spider-Man has been my favorite since before I can remember. So if Spider-Man had been created by DC, you know, maybe I would be a DC guy. I don't yeah. know. You know, but, but you know, so the fact that like, you know, I maybe I get drawn into that world because of Spider-Man. My friend Joe is, I think he's more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy. And, you know, we've kind of, you know, me, him and my friend Brian have all kind of swapped comics and, and trade paperbacks and stuff like that. So, uh, he, you know, I've had a chance to read a lot more DC stuff because of him and, and, and kind of have him point me in the direction of what DC stuff to, to read. And so, so, so part of the core of this is at one point I, and this is, so again, to touch on Green Lantern, but not focus on Green Lantern. I was like, I want, I told him, I want to follow Hal Jordan's kind of like rise or, or fall in, in redemption. Like, how do I, how do I, how do I follow that? Like, I know there's the, the, the iconic cover of him, like with all of the, the, the green lantern rings after he's been like murdering the green lantern core, you know, and that like, you know, this, I know, I know about him going nuts. I know about him kind of, you know, uh, you know, you know, kind of dying at one point going away. I think at, you know, at one point he's like the, the specter, you know, and it's just like, he kind of went through all this stuff but I was like, I, I want to read that story. Like, and this was, I think, around the time when Rebirth was happening. But it's like, I feel like I wasn't appreciating it because I didn't, again, I didn't know what he was being reborn from. So my friend Joe gave me this whole timeline of, of stuff to read. And what was kind of nice was it, it actually starts with, well, the, the, the resurrection of Superman mm-hmm. is one of the points that they mark. So, so what kind of worked out nicely was like, oh, so if I start with kind of the whole death of Superman as kind of this milestone of, okay, this is a place to start that leads into that. Um, and it's also a big milestone in the DC universe in general. Right. And it was something that I read when I was young. I think when I was younger, I read, I read it in issues, but then I think what happened was when they did like reign of the Superman, I kind of lost track because like, I didn't have all the issues and it was hard to, you know, so when I did this recently, I started buying all the trade paperbacks. So it was, I was able to get, okay, death of Superman in one trade. Okay. Reign of the Superman in one trade. Okay. You know, and you know, there's a return of Superman. Okay. So like I was able to kind of just have this whole chunk of all these stories together. Um, so, uh, and I think also I had read, uh, another thing like that was nightfall with, with Batman. Um, you know, I like the idea. And, and of mine. Course, I yeah, fucking yeah. love nightfall. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing too. And this is something that I noticed is that in the nineties, a lot of comics were doing this where I, I don't know if everybody was just sick of the, 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 the regular comic book characters, or if they noticed sales were down or something, but like, like Spider-Man that's around the time when they did the clone saga where mm-hmm. Ben Riley became Spider-Man for a while. We had, yeah, we had the, you know, nightfall where depending on the end of the clone series, which one's Ben, right. which one's Pete. Pete. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, yeah, we had the death of Superman and the, you know, the reign of the Superman we had, we, you know, um, I think even with like the, uh, um, also in Marvel, I think like the Avengers had 
died and went to some other universe and maybe it was like the avengers and the fantastic four or something like that like they were gone for a while and but like in some alternate universe and so we kind of had the world without them and i think that's when like the thunderbolts rose up which was like this superhero team but they were actually all super villains you know mm -hmm. so it's like it was happening all over the place in comics where all of the main characters were kind of being replaced by other people so that was something that i kind of followed at that time but it was also a nice thing to dip back into um but I also found what, yeah, what I found was interesting was the, the descent of all those characters was way more interesting than when the other people had taken over. And then it was mm. just kind of like, all right, well, I don't care about these people. And then, okay, we're going to bring back the originals. That was this kind of big triumphant moment. So, um, so is, yeah, and that was sort of my thing. I was just thinking in, in terms of Nightfall, like that is really cool when Bruce is just like, haggard and he's got the five o'clock shadow underneath the cowl mm -hmm. and he's like because bane has freed all of the the inmates in arkham and it's just like this gamut that he's having to run and he's just worn down and broken and beat yeah. up and fucked up and then he breaks his back and it's a great iconic moment and then it's fucking jean paul valley who i i will defend Azrael and asbat because right, it's yeah. the coolest fucking costume ever but like he's not as interesting like he does get interesting when we get like Azrael, the character in the comic and he, the saint dumas and like the the conditioning and all like he is an interesting character but as batman he's just like too 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 much it doesn't work and that's why it, it like i will i will defend that character i mean we we've talked about it not in, in this podcast or like just in general i i love that character and it had to be somebody who wasn't in the bat family because otherwise they'd just be thrown away like uh, dick grayson would have been totally wasted in that you spent so much time building him up as his own man in the nightwing series that sorry i just <laughs> this is why it's a great topic because we could go fucking anywhere <laughs> right yeah well, the, and, but the descent yeah. like that that's where that stuff really lives because it gets kind of convoluted and batman's back and lady shiva helps him but like what was really cool is like batman is having to go against everybody in his rogues gallery and he's losing it that that was so fun and so interesting to see. I remember one of my favorite moments that like, as soon as you started talking about it, it jumped into my mind is when he comes home one morning and, and, you know, Alfred's like, you know, you should sleep. And he's like, no, I just need breakfast and a shower. Yep. So Alfred's like, okay, I'll go make your breakfast. And Bruce just like falls onto the bed and just passes out. out. And Alfred comes in with his breakfast and just like puts it down and leaves. And it's just like this, this guy needs to fucking sleep, you know? Yeah. It's so, cause he, in that, like, the scarecrow and joker end up kidnapping the mayor at one point and then there's this like underground uh uh tunnel that gets flooded and batman has to rescue him and also joker and uh scarecrow so they don't die he's just like dragging them as the pipes filling up like through the water and just like totally exhausted like and, and robin can't access like at that point it's it's uh which Ro it's red skull no what's his name fucking red hood uh jason todd right it's not him it's the the other one tim drake tim drake yeah and see that, like, that was the other thing too i was like trying to remember also kind of where these things fall in the timeline because right. i feel like you know i feel like i think because like jason todd was robin for i think the shortest amount of time right yeah right? yeah so it's like you know and i knew yeah, it was like really. Are we already on Tim Drake at that point? Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, because he yeah, comes in a lot earlier than you would think. Yeah. Like, it, it's crazy yeah. how how 
much a part of the bat family he becomes very quickly yeah like but uh yeah so then like that kind of allowed me to kind of follow you know kind of start with like a one of the first big uh you know the big events that kind of happened yeah. um which then also yeah i'm trying to remember the order of these things because like i try i also you know i like to to read things kind of chronologically so that i can get all the references as they're coming up yeah so one of the other big milestones, and actually I don't think I read Crisis on Multiple Earths. I think that was a lot older. And I think that was maybe around the first time, or that was a result of, I think, when the, the, the Jay Garrick and the Barry Allen Flash met for the first time. Mm. And I think that's when they first realized like, oh, there, there are two, you know, two realities here, two different versions of Earth. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I ever read Crisis on Multiple Earths. But I think I did read Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. So that was like one of the other big kind of like DC wide events. So that was the other thing too, is like I kind of, well, okay, I'll jump to something else, which I think is later in the timeline. But one of my other favorite series was uh, Superman Batman. Right. And this was another thing that I kind of noticed too, is that I, I like the two of them as a yin and yang, mm. but too much of one of them by themselves, just like, drives me up a wall <laughs> batman's too dark superman's too light too much of a you know boy scout but like having them together it's this perfect balance you know and um plus you know jeff Loeb is one of my favorite comic book writers so like you know having him kind of handle that series and i think originally when it came out it was meant to be more of a standalone thing mm-hmm. uh, but i think then it actually ended up did kind of tying into more of what was happening in the bigger dc universe which actually now that i remember it yeah there i think there's a moment where that was another thing i had to read before was president luther so you know because i think at the end of the the first arc of superman batman i think is when lex luther finally like goes nuts and he's wearing his big green like battle armor green and purple and goes after superman and then i think when it's when he's defeated that's when they're like oh he's not fit to be president anymore (laughs) and then that's also when he kind of predicts I think it's the final crisis. You know, there's this line at the end where he's like, there'll be a reckoning, a crisis. That was sort of, you know, a while later is when we get into the whole, I think that was the crisis on infinite earths. I think. Mm-hmm. Part of what I really liked about that was it was, um, you know, again, uh, well, this was before the recording of the podcast, but we were talking about, you know, how I like stories that have these ideas of multiple realities, you know, it's different versions of earth and the idea that, uh, they were kind of referencing these other versions of earth and these other versions of these characters. And so in the crisis on infinite earths is when we had like this Superman that was kind of like the, the original version of Superman, Mm -hmm. you know, before he was kind of updated. And that was kind of how they explained the update was that this version of Superman is from an alternate universe. I think from the same universe that Jay Garrick flash was from, you know, as opposed to the Barry Allen flash, which is the the more modern. And that's when they depowered him, right? For a while, like Superman had grown in power level to a certain point, or was that rebirth? No, that would have been new 52. New 52 is post (laughs) crisis on infinite earths, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just as a disclaimer, I don't know anything after new 52. (laughs) because well that's so where i, think, I come in <laughs> okay because i think very limited information I think, yeah i think brightest day i think built up to flashpoint which is i think what set off new 52 yeah. right yeah, yeah, so yeah. i think yeah and that was the thing is i never ended up finishing brightest day 
So hope maybe I can try to finish that before the Green Lantern discussion. But, um, <laughs> but that was kind of where I was at. That was where everything was building to. And I remember being so pissed because I was like, oh, I just read all this great stuff. I have this whole history of the DC universe. And not only was it like, I mean, you know, the, the whole crisis on infinite earth thing where it's like oh we're mashing different versions together this was like no none of that happened now right. it's all this so i was like i'm out right. <laughs> you know? yeah sorry it's, it's it's kind of all over the place like i said I, I was reading this stuff in chronological order but there is so much of it and so many good stories along the way uh one of the ones i want to point out that's 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 great especially if you're like okay i don't want to read all that tim so this is useless but if you want to read one good story um identity crisis Oh, okay. And this is what's funny too. I made a joke at one time because DC was also doing where almost every big event crossover they had, had the word crisis in it. Right. And then Marvel was doing the same thing where everything they were doing had the word secret in it, you right. know, secret invasion, <laughs> secret war, secret wars, you know? So I was like, Oh, the, you know, this summer DC and Marvel doing a crossover called secret crisis. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that I guess if you want to throw that into the great ideas going nowhere category. <laughs> but so that story and, and I forget again I get I forget exactly where it falls in the timeline but it's also not super super important because it doesn't um well it's important to one thing which I'll get to in the, in the middle of it. Um but it's it's basically just this kind of like detective story of like oh there's this murder and who done it mm-hmm. you know um but it's also like, it was one of the times where you really got this sense of, um, and I know that this is a lot of the time why people like DC better than Marvel, because they are, they do tend to be um, more mature in a lot of ways. Um, then again, I have seen a lot, you know, Marvel go in a lot of really mature directions. I think it also depends on who's writing and, you know, whatever. Um, but like, just like how horrific this murder is that they're trying to solve and all the implications of, you know, and I don't want to get into details, but like, you know, obviously you find out right away who it is and it's like, it's heartbreaking. And and I didn't, I will admit it. I did not give a shit about this person and their spouse until this happened. And I was just like, Oh my God, these poor people, you know? And it was like, like they took one of the more kind of like sideline random characters that isn't like, you know, one of the Marvel, the, the DC mainstays mm-hmm. and, and put this fucking guy through the ringer. And yeah, it was just a way to just kind of like, you know, instantly, like I felt something for this character, like this, this guy that I couldn't give two shits about. And they kind of like, and, and this is one of the things I'm not sure about that. I'm not, there's, there's this event that they talk about in the past and I'm not sure if they're, I think they might be like retroactively adding that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was more a way of explaining why certain things had happened to certain characters and we didn't know why. And it was like, Oh, it's because of this. And the, 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 probably the biggest echo that this has after this is that it plants the seed of distrust that batman starts to have for all the people around him because this is where and this was kind of an event that gets referenced a lot later but this is where he found out that um zatanna like erased part of his memory okay so that's what leads him to kind of being like i have to have this satellite surveillance system called like brother i so that i can keep watch on everybody because i'm super paranoid because they wiped my memory and what else have they you know so this has it ends up having like huge repercussions later um which you know builds into the um yeah all of that stuff led into the crisis on infinite earths oh no batman incorporated that's what 
that's what I'm getting confused. There's a crisis on infinite earths and there's an infinite crisis. That's why. Okay. <laughs> and then there's a final crisis that comes up later. Yeah. So see lots of crises. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. I was like, wait, no. So final, cri- I mean, no infinite crisis is the one where, and this is what was happening with a lot of the, uh, a lot of people were sort of saying that the um, DC characters were getting too dark Mm-hmm. And that, that part of this, of that was to kind of like reboot some of them and make them a lot lighter. And this was, I was actually telling Chris about this the other day. So we were watching Wonder Woman 84 and Max Lord was the, the villain. And I had such high hopes for that because in the comics, <laughs> like Wonder Woman murders him, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, it almost felt like in the movie, it was kind of like they were kind of directly trying to contradict that. Like, right. oh, it's going to be this nice resolution, you know, instead let's make him come around to our way of thinking. Whereas in the comics, like he, he mind controlled Superman. who was telling Superman to kill Wonder Woman. And he basically told her like, I'm not going to stop. Like the only way you're going to stop me is if you kill me. So she twists his head around. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people had problems with that. And they were <laughs> like, our superheroes are too dark. We need to reboot them. And then after infinite crisis, it was like, Oh, everything's nice now. And they did the whole uh, 52 where, right. And this was actually kind of brilliant. I liked how they did this because a lot of the main characters, like they had this like one year later stamp on them or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then everything else was 52 because it was like, oh, these are the 52 weeks when Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman were like, we got to go soul searching. We got to go on walkabout, figure our shit out. Mm -hmm. So 52 was all about like the other characters. Um, which I really liked how they kind of did that. It was like, it came out weekly. So you're kind of reading it in real time, which I thought was really cool. But then at the same time, you're reading Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman comic books that were happening a year or later, you know, after 52 had finished. So there was a point where they kind of match up and end. So yeah, that whole thing was really cool. Um, oh, I forgot the whole Hal Jordan. So the death of <laughs> Superman, mm-hmm. when, uh, what's his name? Mogul, the, the big like yellow guy. Mongol. He, Mongol, yeah, thank you. And he Mongal, for some reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he destroys Coast City, which is Hal Jordan's um, like home. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that kind of happens in one of the Superman comics. And, you know, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, I think it's the, it's the rebirth of Superman. Yeah, it's when mm-hmm. Superman comes back. Because there's this big battle where it's like Green Lantern and Superman. And it's, a, oh, that's, it's against... Um, Hank Henshaw, the cyborg Superman. Okay. Um, so maybe it was him, but I think he was working with Mongol, but I think it was, or maybe it was him who actually did it. But um, so it's in that big final battle where you have, you know, the, 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 the good Superman fighting against Hank Henshaw and in the process, yeah, Coast City gets blown up and they reference that as that was the thing that finally put fear in Hal Jordan oh, because okay. he like lost everything. So, so even though it's death of Superman, that was kind of what branches off into the, the fall of Hal Jordan and kind of continues from there. Um, so anyway, I wanted to reference that, but we'll come back to you. Um, <laughs> You're getting Michael Pena levels of <laughs> exposition this episode, listener. <laughs> <laughs> Although I feel like he does a better job of keeping things in order. Like yeah, he, it seems he, rambling, he talks a lot of details. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's very concise all the That's way fair. through, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Me, you can't follow. Cause I'm like, Oh wait, no, this happened before. That. <laughs> well, you're, you're following the form of the comics. And that's the thing when you name seven different events 
And I mean, that's a whole nother podcast is like comic book events and how awful they can be and hard to track and money grubby they can be and not great in terms of like content sometimes like and the ramifications of like when but when you have seven events called crisis you can't keep track of where it all starts and ends right and that's that's something that was really intimidating about dc comics for me as i was starting to collect was it it was like impenetrable like i i i didn't know because i came in right after rebirth really kind of started to kick off so I was like, okay, here's a nice starting point. And then you start reading things and there's flashpoint references. And then before that and 52 references is like, well, fuck, I I'm, st- I'm lost. And I was, I was trying to be found. <laughs> like, so it, it's, it's definitely part of the, the, the combination. Yeah. You know? and, and, and that's part of it too. That's part of what I do enjoy is because I dug back so far and built up to these things like yeah there's much more of an appreciation i have because i know all the references they're Mm -hmm. making then having said that then you read final crisis and it's just like what the fuck is going on right um that i think that was uh grant morrison i think wrote that and that's that was really hard to get a beat on especially because like i was following the other crises series and you get to final crisis and it's like what does this have to do with any of that and i think that was kind of part of it it was just like I think it's lumped in because of the word crisis, but it's not, um, it's not the same thing. It's not part of that storyline. I don't think. Um, like I, I respect Grant Morrison as a writer, but anytime I pick up a comic book, he's written, I'm like, this is overwritten. There's too much. Yeah. There's w- put some white space in the bubbles, man. Come on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and, and that's what I wonder too. Was he just kind of like, I need a way to kill Batman so that I can write a Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne, Batman and Robin book. You know, so that was his whole reason for writing that crisis. That series was so killer, though. I fucking love that Batman and Robin. (laughs) Did you read it? I still haven't finished it. I think I've read like the first two or three volumes. Like I definitely read the first one with fucking Professor Pig. Oh, fucked up. (laughs) That man, the the artwork in in those first two volumes is just so killer. And I think at a certain point, it gets handed off to somebody else. Um like it's not grant writing oh i forgot it that was grant in battle for the cow i i guess I, i'll give him some credit because like but yeah. battle for the cow was like really convoluted but like i loved yeah. i love the dynamic of wayne damien and and dick but yeah well and, and that was the thing is i think that's that's also one of the places i left off i think because i was trying to collect all the trades so i could read it all at once right and I was having a hard time like getting them or like they were like super expensive. So I was like, okay, I don't want to read all this. I don't want to read volume. I mean, I read volume one. I think that's why I stopped because it's like, you know, with all the other books I have to buy that are all going on around this, like I, I want to be able to read them and kind of comprehend all of it, not be like, Oh, I'm missing one volume. Why the fuck is this happening? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that was the thing too. I think I even read the, the first volume of Batman and Robin kind of before I, I had, red battle for the cowl and all that stuff. And I was just like, okay, yeah. Like, I mean, I get it. I can fill in the blanks, but it's like, I want to have that story to kind of add the weight to this, you know? Um, and, and that's a big part of it too. And again, this will come up in the, in the, uh, the discussion of green lantern stuff is that blackest night is all about like the weight of like knowing who these characters are. Right. And, and there's, there's an event that happens in identity crisis that is directly related to an event in, um, 
actually multiple events in identity crisis that are related to events in blackest night and they're fucking heartbreaking, you know, but you, you kind of have to have read identity crisis to understand why it's heartbreaking when these people come back as zombies in blackest night. Mm. Um, so that was kind of, you know, yeah, that's, I guess that's a good example. If you're reading blackest night, it's like, who is this? Why do I care about this person? You know, right. or, or like, or like, Oh, why is this person dead? What, you know, and, um, and that's, that's kind of, and that's one of the things that I really like about Blackest Night too, is that it's not just a zombie comic. Like it's a really cool interpretation of zombies, but they also go beyond that. There's, there's more to them, more to the, the Black Lanterns than just being zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, what's really cool, but I won't get into that. Um, so yeah. So, oh, so taking another turn, my other sort of favorite stuff that's come up. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Green Arrow in the comics in general, mm-hmm. except there's a Kevin Smith run right? Um, where right. he did. I think, I think it's like two different, you can buy them as two different trades. Like the first one is, I think um, quiver. Yeah. Green lantern quiver, which is great because you think, Oh yeah, quiver. He's, you know, but that actually is a metaphor for something in the story that later comes out. And I was just like, Oh, like that's, that's so next level. It was great. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the sounds of violence, I think, is the next book that Ken Smith did. And I think this is stuff that at one point I, I told you, I don't know if I remember let, if I let you borrow them or not, if I have them here, but there's those two. To, I'm trying to remember what stuff of Kevin. I think I read his Marvel stuff. Okay. Right? The, the Spider-Man black yeah, cat. That's, oh, that's really what too. I read. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. What widening I, gyre and yeah. another Batman Coffin. one. Right. Yeah. Where Batman pees himself. That's the big, big ticket item when, because he talks about his first night that icon, iconic panel from um, oh that's right. year one where he busts in on the the mob bosses and there's fire, and it is a big talking point. Like comic book nerds were really pissed off. It's like why are you making Batman pee himself? Like what? <laughs> why do we need to know that? Regardless of like the bodily function of like the physics of that that actually happening, like. Kevin really likes bodily fluids, <laughs> especially yeah. with his comic book characters. That adds up. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, but so, so, um, and one of the things I kind of noticed and I'm, I'm glad that I read them in this order and, you know, and, and why I'm kind of obsessed with like continuity in that is that he wrote the, the green arrow stuff and then he wrote the Batman stuff mm-hmm. and there actually are threads that go from one into the other. Right. You know, I remember which, you saying that and like being like, Hey, you need to read this so we can talk about it. Cause it's amazing. Yeah. And I need to do it in the vaguest of ways because otherwise it just ruins it. Like, right. you know, and I, I, and you know, I sometimes worry it's like, even that it's even that ruining it, but it's like, not that I think you would be like, Oh, this is what he's talking about. But like, you know, there's just this, anyway, I'm going to stop talking about it before <laughs> I ruin it. But yeah. So anyone listening, if you're going to read the Kevin Smith DC stuff, make sure you read the Green Arrow stuff first, then the Batman stuff. That's all mm-hmm. I'm saying. Okay, maybe because I excluded Green Lantern stuff, maybe I ran out of stuff faster. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's right. Oh, I, I, I totally just remembered like two other corners of the DC universe. So the the Kingdom Come, right? Uh, which I think they also had a, there was a sequel to that, I think. I think it was maybe The Kingdom which was also, which was because interesting because, well, I think from what I remember, I think Kingdom Come was kind of meant to be like this kind of future. Um, but then 
you know, one of the things that I do really enjoy about DC and, and to be fair, I think Marvel's doing this now. And I will acknowledge that I think, you know, DC did it first where I think they've, they've pulled in like the kingdom come universe into the main DC universe. So like the kingdom come Superman, like he, he shows up at certain times and, you know, where he's like the last remaining person living on earth and all that stuff. But then, um, I was never really into Justice Society all that much because they were kind of a lot of the older characters. But I think it was, uh, and this was something I think that came after. So when we were talking about, we had um, uh, Infinite Crisis, and then we had 52, which was, you know, again, 52 weeks, you know, for the next year later. And then, you know, we're, we're, we're at, um, you know, one year later for like Superman, Batman. And then at that point too, they also rebooted Justice League but I think also started Justice Society at the same time. And I believe I could be wrong, but I think Jeff Johns was writing both of them. Mm. So even though they were complete, two complete different groups of like superheroes, I think there are points where they have crossovers, but it's so cohesive because I think he was planting seeds for that crossover, like from the very beginning, even though they're completely separate and then they kind of merge and you're like, Holy shit. And I think that's when he brings in characters, I think from, uh, like kingdom come or the kingdom. Cause I think there was a sequel called the kingdom, but I think it's, it's a much different vibe. I think it was one of those where I feel like Alex Ross did the covers, but maybe not the interior art. Gotcha. That was, was a way to kind of draw you in kingdom come. I was like, I didn't realize it was Mark Wade, but I, I always think about the covers being Alex, but Alex doing fucking interiors. I, there's one, like the first fucking page is like <laughs> uh, an Eagle with the American flag and then a bat in darkness. I'm like, Oh man, he is the best man. Alex rocks just kills it. He's, he's one of the main reasons I started reading um, immortal Hulk. Cause he's done the cover art for every single one of them. And they're fucking oh, wow. gorgeous. He, he's, he's one of the best, if not the best cover artist of all time. Oh yeah. So they were bringing in the Kingdom Come characters. Oh, yeah. So so it, it was, and again, this was, uh, and I've said this before, but one of the things I've realized that as I've gotten older with comics is I don't, I don't as much care about characters as I do writers, you know? Mm. You know, again, as a kid, you're like, you know, yeah, Spider-Man's my favorite, you know, but Spider-Man comics have had some shitty writers over the years, and I've hated those stories, you know? And then, <laughs> you know, like, again, like, this is an example of, like, like Jeff Johns has become one of my favorite comic book writers. So in addition to like all the amazing stuff he did with Green Lantern, I think, I think this was before all that, maybe what got him that, or maybe he had done other stuff. I'm, I'm not as familiar with his stuff before this. Um, I think he actually might've been the one who wrote Infinite Crisis. I think I could be wrong, but yeah, him, him taking over Justice Society, which like, you know, that's where, that's the whole like star girl and like the, forget his name like the panther guy who's a boxer like i think he doesn't have superpowers he just Mm. is a boxer who wears a panther costume um it's not white tiger is it i think i think white tiger is marvel oh that's probably right i don't Um, know oh i know what you're talking about i can't yeah i i can't remember his name yeah yeah so just like these kind of like older kind of like more obscure kind of you know and 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 one of the things that dc was also doing before marvel was having these like generational characters you know so again you have like the the jay garrick flash then you have the barry allen flash and then you kind of move on to um, uh, the wally west flash you know and you kind of have like these different versions but it's not just like you know again uh, like this temporary like you know again kind of with the 
uh, you know, Batman and the John Paul, but then it's back to Batman, you know, how Batman has, you know, Batman and then Dick and then Jason and then Tim, and they kind of all kind of like move up the ranks kind of, or kind of find their own way, but they're all part of that Batman family, which was actually a really great thing that they did in, I think it was the first issue or one of the issues of Superman, Batman, where they were doing this mission and they had team B and team S and like team B was like Batman, Robin, Nightwing, um, the, the, bat woman or bat girl like the the one who doesn't talk i forget um bat woman bat woman okay so she was in it and um but then they had team s which was like supergirl you know superboy crypto you know, <laughs> you know and it was just like so cool to be like oh there were these these groups of you know it's this whole lineage and it's this whole family you know of, of super men women you know boys you know and, and bat men women and boys you know kind of right but this was kind of even, you know, even before all that, it was kind of like, I mean, they remind me a lot of the Watchmen where it definitely has this kind of nostalgic kind of old retro old school kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and I didn't really like them all that much, but then like, you know, Jeff Johns took over and I was just like, what the hell is this? And I think that was actually specifically something my friend Joe said here, read this. I was just like, I never in a million years would be like, I'm going to read justice society, but because right. he recommended it, it was amazing. And then, you know, again, going through justice league at the same time, there was this whole story with the red tornado where he becomes human for a while. And it's like, he ends up, oh, was it, um, what's his name? Solomon Grundy, like rips his arm off and eats it. And it's just like, Jeez. so, but yeah, there's so many like scarring events that have happened in there. There's one part in justice society where there's this family. And again, it's about this lineage and these people, I think a lot of them are like neo-Nazis. They come to this picnic and start murdering everyone in this family. And there's one guy who ends up surviving. And I think during the fight, there's like some superhero, super villain who's in that group. And he like stabs him in the mouth. And like this stuff ends up pouring out on the guy. And like, I think turns him into this like metal man kind of. And hmm. he's, and he ends up being like the last one left in his family. But he's also like super strong. And it's like this whole thing where he's like, oh, I can't touch anybody because I'm afraid I'll hurt them. You know, it's like if I go to open a door, I'm just going to crush the doorknob, rip the hinges off. So they make him this suit that's basically like metal. And because he's super strong, he's basically moving, like bending the metal in order to move. And that's kind of like <laughs> reining his strength in. And um, that's cool. So anyway, you know, it's just like yeah, these little things that just kind of like stuck out. It was just like, wow, like this is this is so cool. And then I think they even brought like um, Legion of Superheroes into it at one point. I think that's when the crossover happened between the two of them. Um, but I think that was also a point where I didn't have the issues. So I hadn't read past there yet. But anyway, so there's, you know, there's there's a ton of really cool DC stuff that I was into for a while that I was, you know, reading and collecting and um and it's interesting too, because it's not, um, you know, again, it, it, I'm not, uh, you know, aside from green lantern, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, individual characters within DC. You know, I definitely go to more where the stories are. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of really good stuff there. And I think sometimes that's why I get kind of disappointed and maybe it's my own fault because I haven't read the right stuff, but when, when I don't see a lot of these really cool things showing up in like the, the movies or the TV shows or whatever, you know, and it's like, you know, you hear, Oh, Batman year one, Batman, you know, darkest night. And it's just like, okay, yeah, I got it. And, and granted those are Batman stories, but it's like, you know, there's, there's so much great stuff that's written for this full DC universe, you know? And, and, and what's interesting is I, a lot of times I see it almost being utilized more in the TV shows. 
which is the other, you know, the other thing too, in terms of, you know, when I said DC stories, you know, <laughs> that was because like, there's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, like I, first of all, I love Smallville. Mm-hmm. I, I can't wait for the day where I have the time to just rewatch that whole season, that whole series. I mean, granted it did go on a little, little too long. I feel like it should have been eight seasons, not 10, but it was, it was so good. Like that was the first time. And that's the thing is like, I still wouldn't say like, Oh, I love Superman as a character now because it was only interesting up to that point. You know, when he, he becomes this full fledged powerhouse, it's kind of just like, meh, okay. Just going to go punch the shit out of everybody, you know, (laughs) but, but seeing that happen and seeing also Michael Rosenbaum is my favorite Lex Luthor, you know, uh, maybe it's just the fact that you spend so many years with him, but like I, and I love, and usually, I, I mean, maybe most people would, would complain about this, but I love that they did like a whole Spider-Man angle where it's like, let's make his greatest villain, his best friend, which as far as I know, like in the comics, I don't think Lex Luthor and Clark Kent were ever best friends. I think that no. was something they did for Smallville right. and I loved it. And, you know, the same way that you have this, like, this, you know, your best friend and his father is this rich guy who is like really interested in you for some reason, you know, and like, you know, so again, like, I don't know what role Lionel Luther ever had in the comics, but the fact that they brought him in and he was definitely like this Norman Osborn kind of character, even though he never went full goblin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was great. I loved it. You know, and I mean, I recognize it like, Hey, this is like Spider-Man, you know, and maybe that's why I loved it so much that I got to see, you know, I never got to see on TV, the the relationship of peter and, and harry develop that way but also lex was a lot more manipulative you know so it was kind of like okay i can see why you're a villain you're not as tragic but i still really like you as a villain and then i also i i love the arrowverse or the flareoverse <laughs> um i have i haven't kept up with it but but i you know and, it, and the same thing that i've said kind of with batman and superman like i feel like they were building this kind of uh dc trinity light where it was like right. let's have arrow who was like this this tough dark grizzled you know nighttime you know crime fighter and then flash this kind of really lighthearted, you know and then you know they work supergirl in there who ends up being you know almost more of like i think the uh the, you know the wonder woman role you know the kind of one who you know kind of comes that you've got these two guys who end up being friends and they see things very differently. And, you know, one of them has been doing this a lot longer than the other one. And, you know, even though this one has powers and this one's just a guy who works out a lot and has a lot of money, you know, he's the one who needs to teach the guy who's got the powers, like how you you know, have the responsibility to use those powers and, you know, this, this, and that. And then, um, you know, and then you have the badass woman coming in. It's like, oh, cool. Like our, our little trio is complete now, you know, and I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the dynamic whenever the three of them would get together or, you know, sometimes, like I said, it would just be like Ollie and, and Barry. Um, so those are, I think I hit on most of it. Those are sort of all the corners of the DC universe that I've like read, watched and really, you know, really, really love, you know, and, and you know, to dispel any, any rumors that I'm just a Marvel guy. <laughs> so I oh, think... and I love Wonder Woman and Aquaman too. Those two movies. Were amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I mean, DC has always been where Batman lived. That that was how I grew up. That I mean, and Batman was from the animated series and the movies. And then mm-hmm. I had very strange comics. Like I, I got my my favorite comic 
from DC to this day is one of the first ones I ever had where it's the, the very end of the nightfall storyline. It's the one where he fights John Paul Valley in the bat cave after he's taken, he's taken over the mantle and it's this end. Like I, I knew, and this, this, fucked me up so bad with continuity because i had these and i had one was like prodigal so the the prodigal storyline was the very first one where we saw dick grayson stepping into the role as batman for some reason batman was doing something else and and dick had to to take it on for a while so it was these weird like end of a really long story and middle of a really weird story. So when I, when I started to read and look for stuff again, like one of the first, the the first trade paperback I ever bought was nightfall volume one. And I read all of that. And then when I had allowance money to buy volume two, I bought volume two and it, it, it's, it's wild and it's convoluted. It's all over the place. And it's, it's not the best, but it was so punk rock to finally see where that ending where it began and all the stuff and i didn't realize bane was a part of that story and then bane breaking batman's back so that was huge like so that that's really part of my like formative years another one i got was uh uh superman our work all our worlds at war it's a very strange it's it's one of my favorite art styles for um superman i'm trying to remember who is the artist but it's it's very like it's Superman versus Imperiex. And Imperiex is like a, a knockoff uh, Thanos-ish. Like, not not dark side, more like... I guess he's more like Galactus. Like, that similar weird... And there's one sequence in it where it's it's Superman and they brought Doomsday back to life. And they're just pounding the shit out of Imperiex drones. And it's really weird. Lex is in it and Brainiac is in it. And it's, it's, it's very strange. Um, so I've never been like a big Superman in the comics fan. Um, so a lot of, a lot of what I've read has been through the Batman filter. My favorite, uh, storyline is the, the black mirror, which is, um, uh, Francesco Francavilla and jock are the artists. And it's, it's totally my, my vibe to only remember the artists and not remember who fucking wrote those. Um, I'm trying to look it up now. Um, and that was in the, the detective comp. Oh, it's, it's fucking Scott Snyder. It's the other Snyder. It's the good Snyder for DC. <laughs> um, and, and that is a really fully flesh story where Dick Grayson is taken over as Batman and it's fucking rad. I mean, I think Dick Grayson is my, I, I love Batman, but I love Dick Grayson. I love that character. And he, I, I've read Nightwing stuff and I've never really it's never been really good. I've always really liked that character and the fact that he's evolved past the Bat family and he's the one un well, unscathed, but he 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 graduates. The other Robins just get kind of stunted and fucked up and in this one and and Dick escapes and makes his own life and makes his own choices. And he he's a testament to like that character is so good and so resilient that he gets out of the fucking black hole of the bad family. Like no one else can, which I, I fucking love that character. And, and it's so interesting to see him as Batman. And my favorite things in that is like Alfred talking to him and, and like having a conversation where Alfred's like, it's just so weird 
for Batman to listen to my advice, like, <laughs> like because that's a different dynamic. Like, there, Alfred was not quite dad to Dick Grayson, but he he was always the counterpoint to Bruce and Batman. Like, when when that's your adopted dad, Alfred becomes more of more fondly remembered and, and more familial as a relationship there. And and that I really love that dynamic. Um, trying to think of others the nightfall thing is really cool i like more the uh, the stuff i've read is more modern um i liked all-star batman because that was really kind of weird and and mm. it was uh fucking shark repellent and and we weird deviations and a really cool two-faced story where uh harvey dent and bruce were friends growing up which was kind of a weird dynamic kind of the the kind of Gotham City upper crust and they have them having a dynamic. I really like the um uh Long Halloween obviously and and Dark Victory those are really I mean Jeff Loeb and uh uh again I can't remember the fucking writer. Or is Jeff Loeb the writer? Yeah, he's the writer. Is it uh, Tim Sale? Tim Sale. Is he the artist? Tim Sale's fucking incredible. Um and then kind of go and I, that's the thing like with with DC, I've never gone in for. I've never been a big team book guy, so I'm not really a big Justice League or, or uh, um, Teen Titans or any of that stuff. Um, but I mean, I fucking love Swamp Thing. Um, mm. So when when I when I discovered the um, fuck, I'm not remembering any of these <laughs> this is the problem with like coming at it for like I have Comicsology open so I can fucking uh contextualize my stuff um oh alan obviously alan moore like his take on swamp thing is so weird and so fucked and 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 just so otherworldly and so weird existentially and and making him not not human like this this defender of the green this like like sprite spirit of nature is just great and the covers are twisted and gruely and it just gets into like this bowelly weird place that like only dc can do because it's that darkness and there's like hmm. skulls and twisted amorphous like bad guys like arcane or whatever the the, the bad the the wizard or whatever that uh swamp thing fights is like twisted and there's hellish landscapes and weird alien brain like uh, alan's crazy like you could tell like i mean at a certain point swamp thing was no longer part of dc when alan was doing it it was still very much dc and he was just doing weird off the wall stuff that i, I mean some some substances must have been smoked either at the production level or i mean i'm sure alan was like it's crazy just just the the dynamic of that is it's a book like nothing else i've ever read like I, swamp thing of that now i need to reread those because those are just incredible stories um and weird and hard to follow and like really intellectually challenging i really liked those and then the more modern stuff i've liked really tom king has been kind of my guy um he had batman for almost 100 issues which i think he does better short short form stuff so like his mr miracle run is incredible i haven't finished strange adventures yet but that was really really entertaining and twisted and dark but he he has some really good like 
arcs within his Batman run where there's one, it's called super friends and it's uh, Batman <laughs> and Superman and Lois and Selena going on a double date after he's proposed to Selena. And it's, it's weird. Cause it, it talks about how, how much respect they have for one another and how much like they, they have these parallel conversations where Batman's telling or uh, Catwoman saying like, are you going to call him? He's your best friend. And he's like, well, I, I, how do I call him and talk about earth shit? And then Superman's like in Lois is saying the same thing to Superman. Like, can you, do you, you, you should call him. Like he, he's got so much shit going on. He doesn't have like, that's not the relationship. Like it, it just really great, really gritty gets into those dynamics. And then there's one that's a uh, uh, Bruce Wayne framed or something where it's like not Bruce Wayne fit. It's Lee weeks is on art. Lee weeks is in, incredible. Um, but it's like this three issue arc where Bruce works his way onto the jury for an indictment trial of Mr. Freeze and Mr. Freeze is arguing that Batman went too far and he's really the, the problem. And it's this great like courtroom drama. You don't really think of like Batman in the courtroom, like Bruce is undercover on the jury and it gets kind of like 12 angry men esque. it's really cool. Like th those things I've, I've been really in like intimate stories specific to one character. Um, and f speaking of green lantern, like there's green lantern year one, which is Gabriel Hardman, who's one of my my favorite writers and also an incredible artist. And his year one, like they they did a lot of year ones. This is the absolute best, in my opinion. It's crazy good. And it's like, it's all interstellar cop stuff. It's not bringing him back to Earth or any, like it, it's, it's very much like Kilowog and out, out there focused, which is really cool and really entertaining. I didn't realize I was going to talk so much about Swamp Thing. So I'll, I'll, I'll end it there. <laughs> well, I mean, and I, I love the animated series. Um, and Batman Beyond, I think, was a big part of kind of my formative years and the idea of like, that's the thing. For me, the mantle of Batman and the Bat family has always been a dynamic that's fascinated me. And from from a very early age in the comics, what I was reading is like, it's not just Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. The fact that that Dick could wear the cowl and then Terry McGinnis becomes Batman in this far flung future. And then, and then John Paul Valley, like all of these kind of formative comics that I had really hammered home that like, this is a mantle that can pass from person to person. And I think that really impacted like my fascination with it is like Batman, not as a person, but as this mantle that's like Zorro kind of like passes from mm. person to person. And that, that was always really fascinating to me. And obviously Batman Forever, we haven't really talked, like Batman Forever is my, like, that's my childhood. Like that, I was so jacked. It was such a great synergy of like Jim Carrey and Batman in the same thing. I, I was sold like that. That was, that was it for me. So I don't, you haven't read too much of the, the more, it's an interesting counterpoint of like, kind of yeah. like you have much more of the, the kind of basis, like what DC built and I'm more like what they're what's happening now. It's kind of fractured in all these weird places. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And that's kind of why I like kind of lost interest. Cause it's just like, I've been spending all this time trying to, to know this world that they've built. Right. And then they were like, yeah, fuck it. We'll start over. Right. Oh, <laughs> and sure, like I, I said, forgot. I still haven't finished a lot of it because I hadn't, I hadn't bought them yet. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, Marvel has Marvel unlimited where you get to read a bunch of digital comics 
And like, I think as far as I know, DC still doesn't they have do that, not. you know? So it's, and that's the thing is like, I don't necessarily want to own every digital comic. Like I want to, you know, it's like Netflix, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll watch a bunch of shit and pay a monthly fee. And then at some point I'll maybe stop doing this, but it's like, you know, I feel like Netflix wouldn't be as successful if it was like pay to download each thing, you know, kind of like more like an iTunes or like Amazon thing. We have to like buy the thing. It's like, no, I don't want to buy this. I just want to have the option of watching it whenever I want and then never watch it. <laughs> I've also really liked Sean Gordon Murphy has done kind of an Elseworlds universe, Batman White Knight. And there's been two volumes of it and they're fucking incre- just retelling of like classic iconic batman stories like we got the uh azrael storyline in it and he the way he draws is just crazy like everything's like really architectural and really cool and yeah and that's the thing like in the same way that you follow writers like artists man like (laughs) just kind of i mean the nexus for me for like rekindling comic book collecting was obviously like marvel and moon knight and that's a different episode but like Mm -hmm. that really really firmed up of like okay these are the creators that i want to follow and oh hey they've been on both sides of the company or like both companies so Mm -hmm. that when i could track down frank avia i'm gonna read all of that stuff (laughs) like which you know and that brings up a good point too is at some point when i have access to it i would like to read all of brian michael bendis's dc stuff that he's been doing yeah i'm really so interested which... in his superman like it, it's supposed to be really really good yeah. and bendis is great at that kind of like uh breadcrumb storytelling and it, it comes to a head and it's crazy and and, and really yeah. intense yeah and, and again that's the thing is it's not like i've been boycotting dc because i don't right. like dc it's just like give me an app so i can read that shit digitally <laughs> and i will read all of it you know like Oh, they've been doing like Hanna Barbera, like gritty retelling shit. Oh, that's right. I remember you telling me about that a while ago. They did a Snagglepuss Chronicles, which was fucking intense. Really, really, really good. I you would not think, but it's it's like Cold War era, like uh, blacklist playwright, and Snagglepuss is a, a gay playwright in New York. It it's great. I man it broke me that 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 emotionally broke me it was so powerful and such a crazy like who would have thought <laughs> uh exit stage left like right. <laughs> heavens to Moigatroid guy like how <laughs> how is that making me cry but it, it was just so intense and so well done like i i was really really impressed with that i'm trying to see if there's anything else i have on my because i've got shelves and uh, long boxes full of comics and trying to look at all my digital ones, see if there's anything I'm forgetting. And most of it's Marvel. Whoa. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. <laughs> That'll have to be like a double, double live episode. <laughs> Just a huge Marvel dump. Oh God. Yeah. I don't, I almost don't want to do it. So <laughs> it's yeah. Too I much. know. It's like, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. We'd, we'd have to like localize it with like, you you be effusive about spider-man and i'll be effusive yeah. about moon knight <laughs> yeah i can <laughs> talk about my favorite spider-man stories because as i've said there are some stories that were written by terrible writers that i really don't like <laughs> yeah now i just want to read a whole bunch of comics this is <laughs> this yeah. is a problem <laughs> well, that's the thing i want to read a bunch of dc comics but i can't because i'm not you know i'm not going to buy physical that's another thing too like even if i was going to order a comic in the mail I don't know how long it would take for me to be like, okay, you know, and again, you know, and we talked about this earlier, it's not necessarily a COVID thing. It's, it's just more of a, you know, an OCD, like, 
okay, who has touched this kind of thing? Also, I think in general, and I've noticed this with like, but even stuff I already own, it's hard for me to feel comfortable because like, you know, my computer, I can like, if I feel like my hands are dirty and I touch my, I can wipe it down with a wipe, but you can't wipe down comics with antiseptic, you know, or like, right. you know, alcohol or whatever. So, so that's kind of really like, you know, just, and, 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 you know, that's the part of why I like the Marvel Unlimited. It's like, it's on my iPad and on my phone. So I could just like read a comic whenever I want and I'm not touching anything that I haven't already been touching. And I can clean that off with a wipe if I feel like, okay, it's getting a little dingy or whatever. But yeah, like I, I want DC to come out with an app like that. So I can finish reading those stories that I never, you know, I, I want to finish Batman and Robin, you know, I want to finish, I want to read, you know, battle for the call. I want to finish what uh, brightest in the day, you know, like, you know, and, and, and to have access to all that stuff again, so I'd probably just, honestly, I'd probably start back at the beginning. Like I, like I'm doing now with the Marvel comics. And even though there's all this new stuff, I'd probably start back with death of Superman nightfall, you know, and, and then read all that stuff again and catch back up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's rough with like comicsology unlimited where it's just very, very curated and very specific stuff. And you get to a point where it's like, okay, the first two volumes of this were available and now you have to buy the third, which is, is awful with comics. Like I, at that point, just, just charge me for all of it. Like, don't get me invested in and gouge me. Yeah. Again, I, you know, again, like look at what Netflix is doing and how well that works. Just do that. <laughs> Trying to find a hackneyed way to transition to our discussion of the office. <laughs> I wanted you to say something dirty so I could, so th that's what, that's she, what she said. Yeah. Well, right when you said, by the way, I was like, that's what she said. How can we <laughs> Well, you're saying like wiping down the iPad is like, well, it's kind of there, but <laughs> you know referencing the attempt the mental preparation for a joke is just as good as the joke the office yeah. <laughs> right especially according to michael scott <laughs> and don't call me shirley <laughs> i like the one time that that works like jan says shirley you must be joking <laughs> he's like i'm i'm not and don't call me shirley and it finally works it's like not <laughs> When he gets a win, that's that's the yeah. best. <laughs> Although I, I feel like I almost wish he didn't do it that time. Like he missed his opportunity, you know, like. like, or he, I, like, like he... I love it when he's self-aware where he'll acknowledge it. Like you see like the glint in his eye and then he lets it go. Yeah, that that I, I like that as well. <laughs> I don't know how to get into this discussion. Obviously, this is a show I quote Ignazium and when it was on Netflix, it was in the background of my life constantly. Now that it's off of Netflix, I mean, I don't quote it any less, but I'm definitely watching it less. Um, you gotta do like Krista. You gotta get a subscription to Peacock. But another fuck. I'm I'm so done with subscription. <laughs> Subscriptions are not done with you. I know. <laughs> I hate it. But apparently, they they're they're releasing some cool like behind the scenes stuff that mm, yeah has been There's some previously yeah, like extended stuff yeah like like we like so, uh, well she's been watching parks mm. and uh they've had extended episodes where like we'll be watching it we're like and we've seen you know that so many times we're just like oh that's a new scene you know but they're yeah they're reintegrated into the um that's sick. yeah that's the thing like i have the dvd seasons like all the way up to i think five and i think i have seven on itunes at some like i i have most of it right like mm -hmm. i think if i were to go out and get like i'd, I'd end with season seven it'd just be call it good and i would need the the last two but is there nine there is nine i don't know 
I stopped caring. <laughs> well, yeah, when you're streaming it, you're not really keeping track of right. what season you're on. It's just yeah. playing until it ends and then you start it over. <laughs> so do you do you remember watching it as it came out or how how what's your office oh. origin story? So I had actually seen the British office first mm-hmm. and I liked it. And when the American office first came out, I didn't like it because the beginning of it was a shot for shot remake of the original, which I always wonder if that was, that was meant to be a joke of, you know, a sort of, you know, meta joke when Jim's saying that about, um, you know, Dumbledore Calrissian having to return the <laughs> ring to Mordor, you know, he's talking about Battlestar Galactica. Uh-huh. And, oh, it's pretty much a shot for shot remake of the original. Cause that was like <laughs> what I remember thinking watching, you know, the beginning of it, you know, like with all the same kind of gags and everything. And um, at first I really didn't like it. And I don't know at what point I got back into it, but I was just like, Oh wait, it's something different now. Okay. Like I can get behind this. Um, I also noticed that like, I, I, I feel like the, when they were telling the same jokes, they were telling them way more heavy handedly, mm-hmm. you know, which like to me seemed like, it. yeah. Yeah. So much more American. Whereas like the British version is like, if you don't get this, that's your fault, not ours. You know, right. it's like, we're going to just subtly slip this in. If you miss it, it's gone. That's your fault. You know? Um, so, and I remember um, like, yeah. And, and at first, like I didn't, I didn't really like Jim because I, you know, Martin Freeman was just amazing, you know, and it's like to see someone else try to do that character was really frustrating. But again, once I feel like Jim kind of became different from Tim, you mm-hmm. know, like it was like, Oh, okay. Like I can get behind this now. So it did, it did take me a while. I don't know at what point, like I finally launched back into it, but I feel like I maybe watched a little bit of season one then stopped watching it and maybe came in on season two. And it was a while back that I went back um, but I remember I, I used to watch it a lot at my cousin's house. Um, cause usually, you know, I would, I would go to his house sort of once a week and like hang out with, you know, his family. And at the end of the night, you know, after his daughters would go to bed, me and him and his wife would like kind of watch TV. And I think it was around the time that it was like actually airing. So it was like, Oh, we've got this week's episode of the office recorded. Let's watch that. You know? And I think we would even maybe go back and rewatch old episodes. Cause I do remember, I feel like I remember watching a few episodes in a row so that was, that was really fun, you know, when it was, you know, kind of one of the things I miss about TV is watching new TV with people right. and kind of experiencing it with them. And I remember too, seeing when they, uh, around that time, when they were announcing like, oh, we're going to have a new show, you know, Parks and Recreation. And it's the one where it's like, they're looking through the pit and like, you know, Tom finds this giant dirty bra and stuff like that. And I, so I remember like, even back then that was like the pre parks and recreation days when that was like a new thing that was going to be starting. And, um, so yeah. And I, I, I think I, at some point I stopped watching it on TV. I think, I don't know if it was like when I moved out here and then eventually went back and caught up, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if you, if you know off the top of your head, like what years the different seasons aired, if that corresponds with me moving to Colorado. And that it was started like, that 2001. Was... I think that's the first. Oh, so maybe it would have been finished then before I moved out. Cause I moved out here in 2011. So maybe it would have been finished already. So, um, let me silently IMDB as is good podcasting <laughs> content. It's my favorite fucking thing. No, 2005 is when they started 2005 to 2013. Okay. So yeah. So maybe that was why I stopped watching it with them. Cause I moved out here mm. and then maybe I was still continuing to watch it. Uh, Cause I would also watch lost with them. And that was also something that was kind of coming out around the, gotcha. you know, we were watching yeah. some of that live. 
That's um, a snapshot of early 2000s. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. The office and that. <laughs> and they were both like water cooler sh- shows. Like, yeah. I don't know if that the water cooler exists anymore. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> it's a break room show. Like, everybody's watching it. Everybody could talk about it. Like, and we definitely, like, we watched it as it came out. We watched every episode of the first season when it like when it aired as a family like my mom was like let's watch this so we watched it my dad noped out after like two or three episodes he's like, i can't i can't with this show and the, the the first season is really challenging like it really hammers home like this is cringe like this is really it's kind of the american movement of cringe humor starts with that first season and yeah. it's brutal it does not back away from it and it, it just it it's it's great for that but they also like i think when they got and i've been like obviously listening to the office ladies podcast and a lot of behind the scenes stuff and like i just so i I know a lot about like what they adjusted and they softened michael and they made him more likable in the second season but that means the second you get into the dundies as the first episode of the second season it's a completely different show like it, right. it keeps all of the 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 dryness and the kind of like the cringe stuff, but like it becomes more vibrant and it, it gives you more like it really differentiates itself with that very first episode with the Dundies. Like this is no longer aping the it's become its own thing. It's not right. not trying to capture what the original office was doing. And I mean we watched it weekly for a long time i i I think there was one point where i i physically couldn't watch it anymore and i couldn't remember i i don't know if it was scott's tots it might have been but there was i think we were watching that one live and i was just like i i don't think i finished the episode i was like i i can't what it's too stressful i can't watch this anymore and then it was later seasons where i i kind of got bet like we bought i bought the dvds and went back and caught back up and then was watching them as they were coming out leading up to the finale i think so yeah there was definitely a a a segment where i I hadn't watched and then i picked back up yeah it, it it's so weird now to think about watching it with commercials yeah you know like because it was so cold open credits commercial eight ten minutes commercial and then the the tag was like just like it was usually 30 seconds and then this credits would roll so it was like you'd wait for that little bit because it would have been funny but there was so much ads in the middle of it so and so much of how i've watched it recently is just on a loop like even before it was before i had netflix or it was on netflix it was just I have the DVDs, put the disc in, watch it play out. And then you put on the the bloopers and you put on the deleted scenes and then you move to the next disc. But then, and then with Netflix, it was just like, okay, season one, episode one. There's. Are you still watching The Office? You're goddamn <laughs> right I am. So it, it's Don't just, judge me, Netflix. It's such an, and I mean, The, the Office was the first uh, TV show available on iTunes is a big fucking deal and they they hadn't really when when uh michael buys the ipod for the uh for ryan in in the first christmas episode like that wasn't planned but they kind of used that as marketing is like here's the video ipod as seen as the office and oh hey the office is now available on itunes 
So it's been, it was like the very first like streamable, downloadable digital show period, which is crazy. And I mean, it has had this, it always, it has this second life on Netflix that it, I mean, as the ratings went up and down and all like, obviously it, it had its ups and downs, but like it was sustained. And then when it was on Netflix, like everybody's watching it again. And it, it, it's endlessly memeable, endlessly quotable and really kind of human, good human stories, like, and, and mm-hmm. very oh, yeah. grounded and, and yeah, trying to, <laughs> <laughs> trying to talk very abstractly but we we without just like hitting bullet points like yeah are there any like particular story arcs or moments that you really like of it because i i mean you you like the office obviously i think yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know that we've ever had i don't know that i have that conversation with people i feel like the office has become kind of just like a baseline but i we should we should ask <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I do. I, and, and I think a lot of what happened with it is, you know, when, when Krista started putting between that parks and I feel like there was a third show, it was the mini project that she would sort of put on a loop and just kind of cycle through all those three. Mm-hmm. Like for a while, it was kind of like, oh man, I'm sick of the office. It's like on all the time. But then again, I also find myself like just kind of sitting down and like, oh, okay, I like this episode. Or like, right. you know, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of trying to get work done and you're hearing it and you're kind of like chuckling and engaging with it, you know? And it's like, you know, I kind of had no choice but to like it more and more as, as she watched it. Um, and oddly enough, there, there ended up being episodes that I had never seen originally. And I was just like, like, for example, and I never really put this together, but until maybe about a year or two ago, I'd never seen the episode when Meredith actually gets bit bitten by the bat. <laughs> you hadn't like, seen I remember. That? Oh, I remember wow. the, the, the fun run. Yeah. Like I remember the fun run and then referencing her having rabies. That's because the Joss Whedon by episode. Right. Which is, and that's we, crazy. You know, we, yeah. <laughs> and like that just came out recently that, or not came out, but like, I just realized that recently and it's like, Oh God, is that why they had him do it? Which apparently it wasn't. It was just a funny <laughs> joke that like, Oh, you happen to do the one where Jim's pretending to be a vampire. <laughs> that's um, such a great, that's a great episode with Jim playing the whole vampire bit. Like, yeah. I had never seen that when I was just like, what is this? And it's, it's like a great yeah, episode this is, for you know. like Karen and Jim, like co-opting a bit. Cause there's not a lot of pranking with them too, like on the same side, right. but that's a great bit for them. Like both. Com- that was, that's a solid episode. Yeah. So that, that was one that really stuck out to me as being, you know, uh, you know, because I hadn't seen it and it was like fresh and new and it was like, Oh man, what other episodes have I missed? I think there was one or two others, but I remember that one because of that line you know, two, I feel like I had seen that episode multiple times where Michael hit, you know, her with her, oh, if I had never hit her with her car, she wouldn't have found out she had rabies, you know, and it's like, I just assumed that was kind of like an off-camera thing that happened, you know. Um, once by a bat, once by a raccoon, separate occasions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably the the other biggest office thing for me is that it's become part of our, our Christmas tradition now to in December, we'll watch the, the Christmas episodes of the office. <laughs> um, so, which, which, you know, some, some are better than others. I mean, not in terms of writing, but like when you're trying to get into the Christmas spirit and it's like, like, of course, Benihana Christmas is one of them, which, <laughs> which that one it's, it's, it's sad for Michael, but I feel like because the breakup, I think happened the episode before you're mm-hmm. not really, you're kind of living with the after effect and them trying to cheer him up, you know, which I think is, is what I like about it. 
Doesn't um, it have the ho no mo quote in it though? <laughs> you were nothing yes, but good yeah, to your hoe. Yep. And then she's not yep. your hoe no mo. No mo. It has a good tag with Jim at the end where he's like, you had a rebound. Like in acknowledging yeah. that the the weight like that is all fucked and racist about like not knowing the di- and it's obviously they don't play it off like Michael's not the hero of that episode, but there's a sweet right. Jim Michael moment where it's like, you had a rebound. You start thinking, and that's where you kind of, it, it encloses the arc with Jim realizing that he still has feelings for Pam. It's like solidly constructed. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but also has one, probably one of my favorite Dwight lines was when they're at Benihana. And, and what, okay, what frustrates me about this scene is what couple is going to sit down in the middle of a group of people and refuse to just move over a seat so this guy can sit with his friends? It's like such that, a that fucking kind of stretch. Bug. It really is. But it's but, also like Dwight, like, fuck Dwight. Like, I, if I sat next to Dwight, I would definitely be like, I'm not moving for this guy. Like, I, I feel like there's a little bit, but also, like, it would just be so much less stressful if he was on the other side. Yeah. But the, the whole thing when, like, he's trying to talk to Jim and, you know, Jim's like, oh, she's asleep. Oh, narcolepsy. And then when he's like, oh, she's trying to talk about how to, you know, how to slaughter a goose, but I don't think she's getting it right. And then how Dwight just, like, yells out and he's, like, describing it. Like, I was just, like, completely horrified. Like, I, I fucking love that moment. You know, you're going to want to have a bucket for the blood and the feathers. And you're just like, that's so great. Um, and yeah, and then like, I, I think it took us a while, like to realize like, it, it, like, you know, the, and I forget, I think they would talk about it in the office ladies and Krista told me like how it's two different women yep. who go to the party than the ones who are there. Yep. And like, I, I mean, to be fair, like, I don't, I don't think I knew that they were supposed to be the same two because they had the one waitress and then she talks to a second girl right. and then they kind of go back with them. And I, and, and to be fair, I'm, I'm terrible with names. So I think it was more because I didn't notice if they were, if he was referring to the two girls at the party by the same names or whatever. But then we're just like, wait a minute, is that supposed, you know, you know, kind of an extra layer to the, oh, I marked her. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it just adds to the joke. I think I, I also didn't realize that. And I think after a certain point, like, because it's been in the background so much, like there's things I can visualize because I saw it so many, but like just hearing the dialogue for such a long time mm-hmm. when I watched it, because that was something great about the uh, office ladies is it was slowing me down and making me actually watch the episodes. So I was watching this like, Oh shit. Yeah. They're two different. They didn't even go like, and it, it extends the joke that he can't tell them apart and it's mm-hmm. fucked. And, and just uh, also like, which waitress is silly enough to go with them back to their corporate part. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Silly might not be the like ill-advised. I mean, her friend right. was with there. They also noped out. They didn't do anything, but it, it's just like what? What yeah. kind of? And I like that. That was the line. Is like, you want to come to sandals with me? No, like that. Yeah. That was the line. Right. <laughs> Everything else was fine. <laughs> yeah, they were singing the "Body though. Is a Wonderland" to you <laughs> in this beige copy area. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but before you to your friend because he didn't tell he couldn't tell that she wasn't the one he gave the bike to there are two types of perf people in this world people who own houses and people who own condos do you agree <laughs> about what what i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> what the fuck, uh, Michael? <laughs> oh man but, but yeah and, and and i think yeah it's 
I think more for me with the Christmas episodes do for me is it makes me wish like, not that that's an ideal Christmas situation, but it makes me wish that some of the places I worked at had Christmas parties, because I feel like if you compare that to like the way you hang out with your, your friends and family, it's nowhere near as fun. But if you get to hang out with your work people like that and be like, Oh, Christmas party today, we're going to hang out and drink at work. And, you know, I mean, granted, not that I would choose to drink at work, rather drink with my friends, but like, I'd rather drink at work than do work at work, you know, that type of thing, you know, like, like, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't want my Christmases to be like this, but if I had to work at a place like this, then I would want to have a day like this, you know? Um, It's great for that. Like it's definitely, it makes you want to work in an office. Like it's crazy. Like I, and when, when I got, I mean, I've had office jobs and like I work with copy, like I have an office job and I am so pleased to participate in this entity. And I think it's like a nostalgic thing from, and, and that's the thing, like there's something about the copier noise and like mm-hmm. rustling a paper and talking in the background. Like it has a very comfortable baseline and it's very like comforting as an environment for stories to take place in. And, and that's with, with yeah, I, I've always wanted to have a, a an office party, like somebody's birthday or like a, a, a Christmas party like that. Like, the, yeah, you were saying some are better than others. What what it was Benning hot like the lesser of them or what, which? No, that, I think that was a better one because like, uh, what's it? The one um, I forget what the main focus is, but the one where like. Phyllis is kind of torturing Angela because she knows that she's, she was having sex with Dwight. Oh, and then like eventually, you know, Angela stops Night in Morocco, the, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Moroccan Christmas. Yeah. And like, <laughs> Mo- yeah, she makes Rocka her put the Christmas. Christmas is Christmas. Is Christmas, is Christmas. Is Christmas. <laughs> Who's that black Santa for? <laughs> Fucking Stanley. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, Sorry. That's later seasons, but yeah, the Morocco where he's got, uh, Andy's got the sitar. Yeah. And, you know, and like at the end of it, when like Phyllis blurts it out and then it's just kind of like everyone's awkward and like Andy's like, oh, you know, you know, he just, you know, tough room. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of like he feels awkward, but it's like, that's not why they're uh, it's just yeah, it's like it's it's too uncomfortable for Christmas, you know, like ah, that part of it. Gotcha. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I like parts of that episode. Yeah, I think it's just it, it, it hit on like such this kind of emotional, important point in in their arc that it was just kind of like oh my god right you know it's hard to just sit back and kind of enjoy the the christmas part of it no i was just gonna say the one where they do white elephant or elephant or yankee swap which the very first thing i love yeah the thing i love the most about that is like i've always referred to it as yankee swap and so i don't know if it's like an east coast thing but then when i came out here people being like it's called a white elephant what are you talking like well krista especially so i like that they reference in that episode oh we called it a yankee swap it's like see i didn't make that up like that's a thing that that it's a real thing that other people call it but either way it's terrible and i hate that because i hate yankee swap it's or like how jim goes you know oh we call it nasty christmas it's like you're right jim it's the fucking worst like i've never made out well in a yankee swap and i've always tried to do my best you know, one, one time I bought Build-A-Bear one time, which I guess kind of defeats the purpose if I built it for them. But it's like the person got a teddy bear out of it. I did one where I was working at Old Navy and I got a, a set of gloves, a hat and a scarf. They were all fleece. Hmm. I mean, they were on sale. So each one only cost like five for $15. Like you had a set of gloves, matching gloves, half and hat and a scarf. And in that one, I ended up getting a diaper. That's what, what, what I got. Yeah. So we, we do it every year on my dad's side. 
And we just call it like the gift exchange. Like we never had a name for it. And it's not about fucking somebody up and giving like bad gifts. I've always thought white elephant was the elephant is the room is it's bad. You don't want these things. So it's all about somebody getting something shitty. That's what I thought white elephant was for the exchange. And that was the thing. Like I came of age, like way later than all my other cousins on that side. So I would be in the adult exchange to get fucking wrenches like, or, or like a lamplight for hanging in your fucking garage. And I'm like, this is shitty. So I started bringing like cool stuff, like, like, uh, um, watches or pocket knives, like trying to like, they're more rugged, rugged. I don't know. Salt of the earth. Like they like working with their hands and tools mm-hmm. and shit. So it's trying to get stuff that was like interesting that I would like to have. And then I was the guy that introduced alcohol to the exchange. And uh, now it's 18 bottles of whiskey that everybody's stealing from each other. And like, <laughs> that's, that's really fun. And and it was always like certain people would get screwed and like not everybody was always happy, but it was like it was it was jovial and fun and good natured. It wasn't it wasn't nasty. It was always yeah. like people are drinking and getting more riled up and having fun and being like, oh, I'm going to have in like the uncles would walk around and like, stop hiding your shit. What do you got over there? And like, see, like it, it just, it, I, I always thought it was really cool. And then to see it in the office where it's like, Oh, this fucking sucks. Yeah. Cause it wasn't the original plan. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it just become came about Michael not wanting an oven mitt, right. which I, I really like the, the kind of full circle in the finale where she's making him gloves mm-hmm. and she goes into that real long, you 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 cannot clean these. It's like all of these instructions about them and uh, no soap, no water, just dry heat. You But like in, in Michael has come so far that he really, really wants that. And that's the thing that like he's most concerned about before he leaves. He wants to get those and he wants to say goodbye to Pam like that. That arc is a huge, and that's from season one. That that I think that Christmas episode, ah, no, no, that that episode, Yankee Swap, I think is the name of the episode, is in the second season. So it's that long of a payoff yeah. of him being shitty to Phyllis and making that whole thing about how he didn't want this homemade gift, and then he comes full circle at the end and and really appreciate and wants that, like he values it. It's an it's a big deal. Like I I I really like that. Yeah, I was thinking of the one where Daryl had went over Michael's head to Gabe about having the truck drivers sell, be salesmen and, and work on the commission and didn't, Michael didn't know it. And then he dresses as Jesus. <laughs> but guess who I'm dressed up? I'll give you three hints. Jesus is oh. or God's son power of flight <laughs> like no i think is no the the one with with the idea isn't that the halloween episode because no you're he, right you're at you're right you're right yeah because gabe's talking to kevin and then michael comes up and yells at him when right. kevin's dressed as uh michael moore and gabe's dressed right, as Lady Gaga. right 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 he's like i was just asking that's gabe, right he, i knew any lady gaga moves <laughs> right because okay he dressed michael, up as jesus because phyllis is santa Right, and he calls he calls David Wallace, David Wallace and Wallace. Yes, yeah, so I'm sitting here dressed as. <laughs> right, I'm okay. going to tell me or I'm going to hang up. <laughs> and that's it. Like the the timelines work because Gabe wasn't there when Wallace was in that first. Oh right, yeah. So yeah, 
shit i forgot about that the <laughs> halloween episodes are pretty solid too that yeah that yeah, episode in particular is really good yeah. um with the the kind of the uh catwalk of all mm-hmm. of the and angela comes as the slutty nurse after changing mm-hmm. <laughs> and then fucking oscar wins like scary good <laughs> creed creed is a fucking gym. oh god <laughs> um, see that's that's the way we could talk about this it's like well okay what's your favorite episode what's your favorite your favorite you know we could go episode to episode season to season character to character you know like yeah like there's definitely like yeah creed has like th- there are definitely some some favorite lines of mine like what is it when it's like he wants to set jim up with his niece or his granddaughter or something <laughs> and he's just like you know and he's I'm, like, what does he say? Like, I'm oh, engaged I, to Pam. Yeah, he's I like, thought I thought you were, you were gay. gay. Now, why are you trying to set me up with your granddaughter? <laughs> <laughs> the one where he goes, um, you're not real. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure none of de- that's real. Decapitated, and we had a funeral for a bird. <laughs> Which is, yes, it, it happened. Yeah. Like he, he, that's the Ed Truck dies yep. episode, but it wasn't. <laughs> what, was it, what happened to andy right no who was it that he was asking about yeah that's the thing is like i I don't yeah i don't (sighs) is it oscar i I feel like was there something else that happened in that episode that jim was referencing and that's what i yeah i can't remember exactly what the what triggers that but yeah it's like like has no i think oscar was gone after the kiss right because he takes his his oh uh, right settlement money and goes on a european vacation so by the time jim comes back from uh stanford i don't think oscar's there so he asks about that to toby no i can't remember fuck now i need to rewatch. Right. <laughs> this, this is the problem <laughs> just degrading i i like the uh um toby is giving them self-defense and oh yeah uh cre- he's like it's the uh strike scream and run <laughs> And fucking Creed, <laughs> he goes, yep, smacks Meredith upside the head and runs out of the office. <laughs> it's so great. The fact that he's also playing himself, he is Creed yeah. Bratton from the grassroots, is, right. is a great little like B storyline in the background. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I think one of my other fate, well, I have, I think I have two favorite moments. One of them is the cold open when Jim's like, oh, I send faxes to Dwight from himself, <laughs> from, the, from future. the future. Don't drink the coffee. And he just comes, no! Cordially. <laughs> You'll thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> that one. And then the, the the scene, I don't think this is a cold open, but when they're doing CPR and they have the CPR dummy. <laughs> and like, just just how that First whole scene I was just afraid. Degrade, yeah. I was petrified. <laughs> it, it, it just devolves like so quickly and like the whole like you know like it starts with just kind of like okay they're all kind of suit and then you know and then you know okay now they're dancing and then dwight turning around with the fucking face (laughs) (laughs) hello clarice (laughs) and then he cuts into the chest of it to get the heart where's the heart precious precious heart heart. (laughs) like (laughs) i love the quickness of the cut from that to them back in corporate in david wallace's office like because it was early like that's when stanley has the heart attack because of the the fire drill which is a great sequence too like that is chaotic is is all get out because with like same bandit (laughs) 
you're too heavy. I only weigh 95 pounds. Save Bandit. I'm not <laughs> dying in here. And then fucking Kevin goes for the vending machine, throws the chair into it to get all of the snacks. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah. What does warm mean? <laughs> Touching the, the handle oh, or the, the, yeah, doorbell the door, yeah. or door, doorknob. Shit. Uh, so I think my, my all-time favorite moment, I think from a comedic standpoint is is you barely hear it it's 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 like the deepest of deep cuts so in the bring your daughter to work day episode they're sitting in the conference room and dwight is sitting on the floor with all the kids and they're watching fundle bundle and they all shout out all these questions about like like what happened and like um did you know the weatherman when he was he cool? And Dwight says under his breath, you can't even like when you have the closed captioning, it doesn't even come up. He says, is that a world, real working windmill? <laughs> he's like, why are you asking that? And he's also sitting on the floor with all the kids. So it's just like, it's so non sequitur. and so weird. I love it so much. It just epitomizes so the show. It's so Dwight too. Like this clearly fake fucking like facade, like a Sesame Street type setup. And he's like, is that a real working windmill? <laughs> That's what I'm interested in. <laughs> I do like, I'm trying to like, some of my favorite moments are in the outtakes where uh my favorite Phyllis moment is like when she's telling Angela, like she's using the strategies for dealing with difficult people. Mm-hmm. She's like, I want to understand what you're saying, but it's difficult for me when you use that tone. And she says it like so bitchy and like leaning into it. And then like Angela Kinsey, like loot or, or uh, what's her real name? Angela. Oh, it is Kinsey. Like just dies laughing because of the way she delivered it. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of my favorite moments are like the really, the, the the friendship moments between Jim and Dwight. Yeah. And they're they're few and far between, but like like they definitely get me. Like the one where Dwight's like crying in the stairwell and Jim sits by him and then walks away and Dwight's like, huh. <laughs> and like, you know, the fact that like every now and then they can kind of like be human beings. And I think that was like it was almost like their friendship was building and neither of them realized it. You know, yeah. like the pranking was kind of not out of hate even though even though they thought it was you know yeah and like uh like oh and another moment is when uh i think it's when they're in florida and that new girl who's there for a while and she's like trying to sleep with jim yeah and then jim says the thing about the bed bugs yeah. and the night ends with jim and dwight like sitting sitting in the bed <laughs> together watching tv eating dessert and i'm like yeah. that is so nice like <laughs> It's almost worth worth the dumpster fire that is the the Florida episodes for that moment. Like that is a great yeah. moment because yeah. both of them are like in a position that they're uncomfortable about like sex and and this like tension. And Dwight thinks he has to sleep with Nellie to get the job because of the way Todd Packer's doing stuff, and he doesn't want to. And I, I really like that. Like that, that's a great end note of that episode is that they're yeah. both like, and like Nellie goes to knock on the door and then Dwight's like, Shh, and he turns off the light and just <laughs> eating bananas foster second piss bananas foster I've ever had. Like this is, that's a great moment. Yeah. The, the, the moment in the stairwell with Dwight reaching out for like how perfect 
it captures everything about their dynamic, everything about those characters leading up to that point and their relationships. I, it's just, it's so heartbreaking. It's so good. Mm -hmm. I mean, every time that comes up, I'm just like, God damn, who hasn't, it's, it's like you, you spend so much time not reaching out for help and somebody like gives you an olive branch and you, you've waited just a second too long before reaching out and they're Mm -hmm. gone and it, oh it's oh it's so good yeah but i also love that isn't the scene after that doesn't dwight come in and that's where yep. he like runs the ruler and, yep. and like and jim's like happy because he's like okay dwight's back. back like you yep. know like like i really like that moment too like even though he wasn't there like it was still enough you know to get him get him back back going again yeah um, i, I, I love the running gag with uh jim pretending to propose and not yeah, <laughs> that, that's really solid. And that's the thing, uh, from like a relationship perspective, like before this friends, they, they shoved Ross and Rachel down your throat. And it's like, no, the, the, the good dynamic in that show was Monica and Chandler like that. That was the relationship to follow. It was ridiculous and man and and awful. But like this was I felt like this was a couple that made a lot of sense. And you championed, and it had ups and downs, and it wasn't constantly will they, won't they. Like they get together season yeah. four. Like this is not a long con. And it really broke my heart when they started to put tension between them. But it's like you got to see what happened after Happily Ever After, which was really hard to watch and it hurt, but yeah. it was real. And and that, uh, yeah, I, I, I go back and forth on, on that. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. You were going to say something. Um, oh, I, I mean, it was kind of a change of topic, so we can, or slight, I mean, still within the office, but we can no, go finish ahead. this before we, okay. So I was going to say, so another, another thing that stands out to me is there are, there are two moments, um, cause you know, now having seen a quiet place, like I know what a good actor John Krasinski is, right. but up until that point, it's just like, he's just playing a guy, you right. know, it's, you know, it's like, how much acting is he doing? So the two scenes where I was like, oh, John Krasinski's actually a good actor is number one, and this is another Christmas episode, when Dwight's terrorizing him with the snowball fight. Yeah. And they're leaving, and the lights flicker. He's like, oh, you're going to do that? <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> just like the, the absolute like terror he's at, he shows. And it's just like, oh my God, like this is, you know, this is, and I think like that, like, you know, and again, that, that's kind of opposite into the spectrum. Like him and Dwight, like at their worst, you know, like, you know, you've seen, Jim kind of go at him and then you see, but it's like, it's always like, kind of like, I almost feel like Jim isn't doing it to, to be an asshole. He's doing it, you know, I think cause he, he seems kind of unaware that it's actually like bothering Dwight and maybe wants it not to not bother. I don't know. But like, I think, you know, Dwight's just like fed up. He's just like, no, like you, you know, I, or I guess I could say it this way. I think, I don't think Jim sees it as torturing Dwight, but I think Dwight sees it as him being tortured by Jim. I think it's also like interesting in that episode like when jim throws the snowball in his face it's a clear it's clearly different than what he's done before like everybody it's it, it's brutal and it's it's yeah. not clever it's not just kind of needling it's really kind of cruel and it's yeah, the it's first like time right in the mouth too it's not even yeah. like in the shoulder it's like oh that's fucked up and it wasn't like there was no whimsy to it in quotation marks like it it was always like it seemed like prank war but nobody got hurt it wasn't about 
it was inconvenient, not incapacitating. And that like from the sec, like the reaction of everybody in there and, and just how brutal it was. And it was, it's great when Dwight gets one up on Jim finally. Yeah. And I think it did a good job of like, and that's the thing, like Dwight is really good at just kind of like following along with it. And I think that's why Jim continues to do it because Dwight will just like, I have to do my fucking job regardless of the hijinks that's mm-hmm. happened. So like when he, he puts the, his, his desk in the office or in the bathroom and he yeah. calls him, he's like, he just starts to do his work because right. he'll, he'll just endure. And I think that was a great moment of like, Jim knew he went too far. He, he should have. And then mm-hmm. Dwight came back with a fucking vengeance right <laughs> it's, it's i have no feeling in my hands or penis but it was worth it <laughs> the yeah, best snowball isn't on, a yeah. snowball at all it's fear. it's fear merry christmas everyone <laughs> so perfect uh but then the the other version which is also kind of tied with a nice jim and dwight moment is the one where they're on the the bus the move the mobile office mm-hmm. and he goes up and he's talking to you know the whole bind- building kinder idea comes up where like oh these are your family and, you know, he convinces Dwight to take them to the pie stand and Jim jumps down and he's all like triumphant. And then here comes Dwight's feet like right in his face. And like how he's able to play that off, like, like he really doesn't know what's coming, you know, like, the, like, you know, and, and Michael has a nice moment like that too. The one where he's doing the survivor man and Dwight mm-hmm. takes off his shoe while he's blindfold and starts hitting him in the head. <laughs> and it's like the way he's able to just play like that, like he doesn't know a fucking shoe to the head is coming, you know? Oh, man. Yeah, John plays a guy, but like, how do you play a guy you like so much so consistently? Like, it, I, it's kind, of, it, it's unheard of. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I, for a while, Ross was was the dude I wanted to be in relationships. Was totally fucked up. Like, awful, awful person. And then you look at Jim as like that's a that's a that's a person. That's a human being. He's a right, romantic. Yeah. He and does his the, job. He doesn't like it, but he's working with the girl he likes, so he's gonna stick it out so he can hang out with her. Like, yeah, I get that. And it, there's no manipulation. There's no, like it, it's not. Yeah, it, it's and it's really hard to watch when when they have tension because it's like we've seen Jim want to get the fuck out of Scranton and make something of himself and like be excited about work, but then you see like what it costs and you see see that relationship and like of course pam like you you've left me you and that's the thing we talk about everything this would not have been an issue if we had discussed it just like and that's the thing like that uh, it's it's hard to watch it it really kind of gut gut wrenching to watch that happen and but it's definitely I think it's valuable and I'm glad that it did happen as frustrated as I was when it was going on. Cause you know, cause that's the thing, like, you know, he, he spent so much time and focus on Pam and getting Pam and wanting to be with Pam. And it's like, and he spent no time on like, well, what do I want as a person, you know, like, you know, as, as an individual, like, you know, for, for a career, you know, and then, you know, and I think that was part of it. It was like, you know, he probably even saw it as like, this is the one missing piece of my life and then I'll be happy. And then it's like, when they get together, it's like, I'm still working this shitty job though. Like what, right. what else could I be doing with my life? You know, that's a great fucking moment. I like when, um, 
Pam real like so so Jim went to Philadelphia and he came back and he cut back time and everybody was calling him on the phone. He's like, I'm just committed to being Dwight's number three, right? Like because Dwight can Dwight is the only man who could be his number two. And he there's a moment where he he's he's in one of the meetings and he's like committed and he's like just goofing off. And then there's a moment in Pam's face where she's like why did I force him to come back to this? He must be dying inside. Why is he doing this? And he, she runs away and it's just, this emo- it, it captures all the emotions of like how she's been feeling. It's like, yeah, fuck you for leaving me for Philadelphia, like, and, and leaving me with the kids and, and making me feel like I have to do all of this on my own. But also like, I love this man. I love how, like, I want him to be successful. I like, and it was just like, talk about, jenna fisher acts her ass off this whole show like every every aspect like as as a a bouncing off point for steve carell as michael just to pee to play deadpan and and play against that but also these really rich emotional moments like she it was a, a a smorgasbord for her like it just all these great character moments and just great emotions and conflicting emotions. And I mean, the speech on the, the, the beach in uh, beach mm. games, yeah. like just great, like great writing, just such a rich character and such a complex character. She wasn't just the girl. She wasn't just the, the, the unrequited love interest. It, it just, it's so much about her story is the, the, the tale of the office. And that, that's the thing when Mike, when Michael leaves, we're still following Pam's story and Jim's story and Dwight's yeah. story, funnily enough. Like it, it it becomes bigger than them. Though I do have problems with how it's handled after he leaves. But like <laughs> that that's that's the only way it could work because we were following those stories too. It wasn't just yeah. about Michael becoming more human, you know. Yeah. And and you know, and that's the thing too. Like, yeah, y- yes, it wasn't as good when Steve Carell left, but like I don't know. I mean, I think it added to the reality of it, you know, like, right. like that's the thing, like you get a new boss, you know, your, your life goes on and you've got to make it work with this new boss. And, you know, and sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, like how quickly things were changing and like, you know, and how, how it shifted from, okay, who's going to be this boss, this person, temporary, you know, it was just like, it was, it was kind of a mess, but I, I, I kind of appreciate that for the, you know, for the reality, for the documentary point of view right. of the show, you know, that it wasn't just like, well, Steve Carell's gone, we're ending here. It's just like, no, that happens and life goes on, you know? And yeah. And I think, yeah, you're definitely right. Like we had enough other characters we wanted to follow by that point. Like, you know, I mean, Steve Carell was the star of the show because he was the biggest star, but it's like, you know, it definitely hit a point where the other actors weren't like supporting actors. Like they were, they're all part of the ensemble, you know? And, and I mean the the for Angela's character, what mm. what a fucking arc! Like, yeah, because you hate her, and she's cruel, and she's not nice to Andy, who's not the greatest character, but like th- just kind of vindictive and manipulative and mean. And then it's her, like she gets handed the fucking ringer, like or she gets goes through the ringer with the the senator and mm. being used and, and treated the same way that she, like and then at the end we're so happy to, to to have her happy to that arc for her character is so was so unexpected i wasn't really expecting that 
character depth for her and it it just they they really stuck the landing with her because that was hard to watch like so and i i love that kevin has has some really good like moments of brilliance throughout the show but when he comes to her aid and and oscars to the center is like you're an asshole yeah these people love you so much and you treat them like shit yeah it it just is such a great moment speaking truth and and then he's like great food like (laughs) they they always make him funny at the end but like that was such a great moment of like these are people I deal, I I work with every day. I care about these people. Like this is our own little, the the accounting clump is a family, and you're fucking with it, man. Like that that yeah. that's so that that whole dynamic is really interesting and and kind of uh one of the the bright spots as the the series was was ending was that dynamic of like that was good storytelling. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things too. Like, I, I feel like at any point, if you were to look at one of the characters and kind of go back in time and be like, Oh, three seasons later, this is where this character is going to be. You'd be like, no way that that doesn't make sense for this person. But like every change they go through is like completely natural and organic. And like, you know, there's, there's a process that's happening and they go to so many different places, but like it, it all, it all makes sense. You know, if you, you know, I, yeah, if you were to follow anyone's one arc, any, any individual character's arc, it'd be like, wow, this is so chaotic and up and down, but it's like, as it's happening, it folds out, it unfolds perfectly naturally. And it's like, you know, like, like, and that's one of the things that I, I you know, like with Angela's character, like you would never at the beginning be like, Oh yeah, her and Dwight end up together. It's like bullshit. No, they don't. Like, you know, but then like somehow like there are like little, little details that she'll say little things about her and like, oh, okay, I can see why her and Dwight would connect. And then, you know, and it just little by little, you know, they kind of move the pieces on the board, move together to make it happen. And even after like, they kind of broke up and everything, it's like, okay, they're done. And it's like, somehow they find their way back together and, and it still, it still works out, you know, it's, and it makes sense. And it's like, you know, and, and I also love too, that it wasn't just like, okay, well, they're still sleeping together. So whatever, that's all it's going to be that, you know, you see that there was, oh, there was a reason why they were still sleeping together. And, you know, some, and I guess for Angela to be able to kind of disconnect from the fact that like, oh, you killed my cat, you know, and it's like, how do you, how do you get over that? You know, and, but you know, it, it, but yeah, her going through the ringer was enough to be like, okay, ultimately like it's fucked up that Dwight did that, but you know, he's still the person I should be with, you know? And, and yeah, yeah. And that moment when, when Dwight finds out that Philip's actually her kid, yeah, his kid, you know, and it's just like, oh I'm damn, like, way to, like, way to, yeah, way to put a bow on all this. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. When she's confining into Oscar, but I love him and, and Oscar thinks she's yeah. talking about the Senator and it's like, yeah. no, it's Dwight. And it's like, and I, I love that too, of, of like another great Jim Dwight moment where he, he's asking him about what about Angela? It's like that, that whole, and it, it's coupled with the compilation that uh, Pam is watching with the, the teapot note. And it's just, just, as much as I hated the writing for a lot of that stuff, like it, it came together so well, like yeah. that. The finale is, is an incredible piece of television. Oh yeah. Um, and I was going to say, like you were saying about like pinpointing characters and, and tracing them like in a natural way, the character that frustrates me most is Aaron. Mm-hmm. 
but even so, when you trace kind of how she develops, she's very <sighs> moon child, just kind of like space case, not not yeah. really. And it, she's kind of the most it, unrealistic character because of just how she's just floating through everything without any kind of practical knowledge, kind of in the same way Michael was. I'm, I'm just now realizing. But for the kind of development, like through the relationship with Gabe and Michael kind of becoming more of a fatherly influence with her and mm -hmm. that dynamic kind of shaping how she becomes more and more assertive and, and I mean, I, and that's the thing, like the, the arc of the Florida trip is kind of the arc of Aaron becoming more assertive and in control of her own life. And, and that's important. Um, but like she, she does develop as frustrating as that character is and how I don't like that character. She does still develop in very real ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Creed is the only person that doesn't really <laughs> have an arc, but you le learn more about like he, he is like a, a bit character in like in every sense of the word, but he's 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 great. I think he's the one character that you could say um, in in three seasons he's gonna do X. You're like, yeah, I could see that. Like that he's the only character you could do that for. I love Daryl. Like yeah. I also love just just love Craig Robinson, but like his development and how he becomes part of the office. That was a big piece of the puzzle that that was missing and i i liked him as this counterpoint like when he, he holly and michael go up to nashua and he's driving <laughs> like the dynamic of that is just and they're breaking up on the way it's just so crunchy and so perfect it's like you could take more than one one thing mike <laughs> there's a bunch of boxes in the truck he's like ah. <laughs> he's like trying to make the unpacking uh, right. as long as possible so it doesn't have to end and i mean i think we've talked about like michael's development like in in the screech episode like about how he he becomes more aware and and less of an ass and and more like he never was an asshole he was just bumbling and, and not aware yeah. ignorant rather than a bigot and that yeah. that development and it's the thing anytime you saw him interact with kids and and just kind of the kindness that ha he has that's that made all the difference because if he yeah. and that's the thing i think that david brent only works for two seasons right like that mm -hmm. that character is insufferable he's really like he, and but again his his was it finch who's his todd packer yeah is is a blatant asshole and a yeah. bigot in that like and brent is a good counterpoint to that but like Michael, I think, extends so much for like obviously more time, more character development, better actor in my opinion, and what what a performance for in every sense of the word, like emotionally and like just like physical comedy, just like improvisational comedy. I mean, the episode to end all episodes is the dinner party. <laughs> that that <laughs> is one of the single best, most awkward things ever committed to film like holy shit the tension in that room mm. and it's not it, it's also funny how is it all of those things <laughs> how can you have so much tension but also <laughs> i know it's unreasonable for me to think about having dinner at a dinner party i know that i know she didn't poison the food i know that but who would she poison <laughs> michael's ex-lover <laughs> like it, it's just it's so 
it's so much that episode is so great i i think you know one of my favorite scenes from that is when she puts on hunter's cd and it's like <laughs> it took me by the hand it's like oh god <laughs> and i love i love the coda when they cut like i did something bad babe <laughs> and they stole the disc and they're eating burgers in the parking lot with it playing <laughs> He, he brings the fucking St. Paul neon sign. Oh, yeah. And it, it changes the tone of the whole scene, like, visually. The I also like sad, the sad little LCD screen. Yeah. He's like, you got a lot of people. <laughs> you need more room. Right into the wall. And it moves, yeah. like, the smallest amount. I will just stand here for hours and watch Yeah, the yeah, yeah. You have to stand there. I, uh, I, and I forget which one comes first, though, but I like how that has, is one of the at least two references to him having, you know, sensitive teeth or soft teeth. Oh, yeah, yeah, where He's yeah. dipping his steak in the wine and then the one where he's like, oh, I have my monthly dentist appointment. Right. That's, I think that's the, the Christmas, you know, when they do Meredith's intervention. Oh, yeah, that's right. But, yeah, right. there's at least two references to <laughs> She yeah. sets her hair on fire. <laughs> oh, then what did, what did uh, I think Jim asks him about Groundhog Day. And and he says, I like to celebrate uh, privately. <laughs> Back to the Christmas episodes. I love in that first episode where he goes to get the vodka. And he asks, like, is this enough to get 12 people hammered? He's like, 16 bottles of vodka? Yeah, that ought to do it. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> uh, oh, man. One of my other subtle, funny things is when he's... Uh... I don't think it's that one. I think it's another one where he's he's bartending and he's like, "Oh, I call it one of everything." And it's like equal it's this 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 and two packets of Splenda. And it's like you just said it was called a one of everything. <laughs> also, that's the second time or he talks about scotch and Splenda. <laughs> Things oh, like yeah, Spen- yeah. Splenda gets you drunk like spl- scotch. And then he has uh, a drink at it's like the dinner party episode where or uh Date night. I can't remember where they they go to the uh, the um they go to David Wallace's house. Oh, and he yeah. has the whiskey from Lee Iacocca. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh. <laughs> Jimmy Split. <laughs> like the way, like Steve Carell choking and mm-hmm. acting is <laughs> tiramisu. <laughs> oh my god, so perfect. Did you ever see uh, the Dana Carvey show, the the sketch show? No. Okay, there's a bit in that where it's Steve Carell and Steve Colbert. Oh, is this and, the waiters who are nauseated by food? Yes. I have seen that clip on Yes. Yet. So that is just like, <laughs> ooh, ooh, like they're nauseated by food. It's just great. Oh, man. In, in a way, like, there's definitely more stuff that we haven't talked about, but like, it's so vast. How do you talk about nine seasons of television? Right. That was so psychic. Like, I, I, I'm happy where where we ended up with it. If if there's nothing else, like, I'm not gonna rack my brain for more because it's gonna come up. Like in in future episodes, we're just gonna right. talk about the office. <laughs> it's just gonna happen. So, thank yeah. you for for following me down that rabbit hole. That was yeah, no, definitely. Fun. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was coming at some point. Yeah, and if you didn't do it, I was gonna do it. It's and and yeah, I think that's the thing too. Is like the more I've seen it, I have grown to love it more. Mm-hmm. you know and i think yeah i think and i think i've said this before like i i do like parks and rec better i see them the, the two of them are like very similar in a lot of ways but like part of 
and not that this is the only reason, but one of the reasons I like parks better, I think is it is like shorter. So you get to kind of get this, this, you know, you get to wrap your brain around it a little bit easier and kind of, you know, start it and finish it in kind of this nice concise time. And I feel like with the office, like it, it is so much bigger and I don't think that's, that's bad. It's not a, it's not a, a criticism because like I said, I even, I, I liked when it continued after Steve Carell left. I think that, you know, it's, it's obviously not good in the same way and, or even as good, but it's still good. It still has, you know, it, it has a bunch of gems in it, you know, but I think just in general, it's like, you know, like, like I said, when, when Krista's, you know, binging that it goes on for like a lot longer, it's like, okay, it's still the office, <laughs> but, but it's like, but, you know, but that's the thing is like, I don't, I don't like the show less necessarily. It's more just the, I guess the, the world that we're spending time in, you know, goes on a little bit longer and, but, but yeah, it's, and, and there, there are ways I think where the writing is superior um, I think we've, we, one of the things we've talked about before is the, the, the whole documentary aspect, right. like the office definitely holds more true to that. Whereas I feel like with parks, they kind of use it where they want to with like talking heads or looking at the camera, but like there's, there's no payoff. There's no, okay, we're going to watch the documentary, like the way they do it in the office. And it's also like in the, the office, it's way more consistent. Like if they're driving, you have this mounted right. camera on the dash that looks shitty Whereas right. on parks, it's like, they'll change angles in the car. And to the point where it's like, if there was a camera mounted there, you would see that from this other angle, like, but they're just kind of like, you know, filming at that point. I think um, there's some, I think parks is also more confident in its form. Like it just came out be like, this is in the style of the office, but we're not right. writing it as hard. And I think it, it also like, because you're playing with parks and Pawnee as this larger, like you have a whole city to play in. I think right. it has, it, it's more expansive too. Like I think, I think what's comforting about the office is it's the same location. Like right. they go different places, but it's like, it's, it's centered on the office where yeah. parks and rec definitely there's more variety to it. I think it's more confident. I think it's a more refined use of the documentary style. It's not as mm. much a slave to it. And it doesn't get into the weird, like, there is a documentary at the end of this and we're breaking the fourth wall and we're figuring it out and we have actual, like, I think they did that too much towards the end and didn't integrate it gradually enough to to make it satisfying in that sense. And I think Park, Parks sidesteps that by not acknowledging it. Right. It's just... You saw The Office. This is in the same style. But it's not off-putting the way the fucking Modern Family is. That one, I cannot stand. Yeah. I don't know if it's just, I don't like, I don't know. I just don't like those people. And I don't <clears throat> like that it's like too clean and polished. I I, I don't know. It, it really, Modern Family really bugs me. And it's the only episode of WandaVision. I was like, ah, why are we emulating that one? Uh, or, <laughs> But um, no, I think like Parks is, is it it's, I think it's more accessible. I think it has the same problems with the first season where mm, yep. the first season of both is rough. If you jump in on season two, you're in a much better position and you don't hate Andy for as long. Right. Like, I, I spent a lot of time hating Andy. Um, and it, it turns like it, it gets, it, he gets way better and he develops and he grows and, and yeah. But yeah, like there's definitely something to be said about like parks parks. I think no knew what it was quicker and also had the freedom to kind of go in all these different directions. And I mean, yeah. they had 
Amy Poehler, like, right. like as is, and we had SNL alumni showing up and like, that's also a different dynamic, which is, yeah. is cool to it. Yeah. And I, I mean, another thing too, I think you could say is that parks wouldn't have been as concise as it was if it hadn't had the chance to learn all that it did from the right. office, you know? Yeah. And I mean, like, they share DNA with the same showrunner and, and yeah. developer and writers. So like, yeah. So I, one last, I had, how do you feel about D'Angelo Vickers? Because this is a I, much, much maligned and debated online. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I love Will Ferrell. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I mean, I think it was, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I, I'm thinking about this so much because I'm trying to figure out why it's so debated because it's like, I thought it was great. I think if it went on for too long, it would have gotten old. Yeah. Feel like it went on for just the right amount of time i feel like we got enough time with like him and michael together and like the awkwardness of that and then you know sort of the the little bit of the time that we had um actually i can't remember like the, there is a while where he like after michael leaves right where he's just the boss yeah it's not it, very long right yeah because it's the end of season seven um because of the search for the next guy is like a two episode um arc that's the the finale the penultimate episode in the finale of season seven um so there's one episode i think it's the inner circle is the name of the episode where so there's two episodes with michael and d'angelo and then there's one episode just d'angelo and then he breaks his brain right and they do the search for Ray Romano and fucking Jim Carrey and Uh and James Spader and Will Arnett and all those guys and Nelly. Yeah. Uh, So I feel like three, three episodes. I think that was perfect. If it went on for longer, I think it would get old. You know, I feel like we had, I I love, I love the the King speech moment. (laughs) Mimo, Mimo. (laughs) One of my favorite things is Will Ferrell yelling into a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. When he has the fucking headset on at the Dundies in in yeah. Louis Volpe's, and he's just way too close to the mic, and yep. it's, it's just it's, fucking screaming. Yep, it's just Will Ferrell at his absolute best. I I I love that. I don't know how I felt about it at the time, but every time I get to those episodes, like this is just to to see Steve Carell and Will Ferrell in a similar role and playing off each other and like fucking with each other. Mm-hmm. is great like i i i really enjoyed that so i'm i'm glad we both yeah. we both liked that yeah like so, you said it was the right balance i think it was just just enough not michael and just like you said not super long after he had left like it was a great short burst yeah and, and yeah the moment where he comes in from the hospital and he's like trying to tell a joke or whatever <laughs> you know again it's like it's like I, I i really enjoy and this is i think the thing why michael was so great is like i feel like the writers like knew how to use steve carell like they knew what his strengths were and they knew how to write to them and i feel like that's that's maybe how like what it was about will ferrell that made that transition like they knew exactly like this is what will ferrell does best you know right. is to be you know like someone who's seemingly serious, but you know, kind of like, like Paul Rudd does that also really. It's one of the things I mm-hmm. love about Paul Rudd when he's doing ridiculous things in a very normal way, you know, like, it, you know, as a, as opposed, and I, and I love Jim Carrey, but Jim Carrey is just like, he's, he's, he's just a goof and he's, he's very drastic and he's a human caricature. And I love that, but 
Um, it, 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 having said that, though, like there are moments, I think there are a few moments in Truman's show where he like brings a little bit of that out. And it's like this exaggerated moment on top of him trying, you know, being a normal person. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's also great. But normally, you know, he just, you know what you're going to get from him. Right. Um, kind of like get and, out of his way. It's not like the, the, the page, the script is guidelines. He's like, we're, right. we're going to let Jim do his gym thing. Yeah. And that's, that's what we pay, hired him for. Like that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And like Will Ferrell, I mean, you know, it's like that, that SNL skit where he walks into the board meeting and he's wearing like, like a shirt tucked into like the, the speedo and he's, Oh, sorry, I'm late everybody. Or, you know, and it's just going on. Like it's an absolute normal thing. Like, like, I feel like that's his thing is just like, I'm, I'm pretending that this is normal, but it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen, you know? And that's, that's, you know, uh, I feel like that's, I mean, that's, that's the whole movie Step Brothers. you know, mm-hmm. is just, he's ridiculous that whole thing, but he's, he's selling it. Like, this is, this is just who I am and this is normal to me, you know? And, and I feel like that's kind of what, what he, yeah, what he helped bridge with like Steve Carell leaving, which he also did that in, you know, a slightly different way, I feel like, but, but, but that's sort of the thing about them that I, I think that I find most funny. And, and like, you know, like I said, with Paul Rudd, like I brought that up before, that was one of my complaints about Paul Rudd in friends is he was just a normal guy the whole yeah. time. Like he never got to have those moments of being ridiculous, but playing it off as if it's normal, you know? And that's, you know, like in um, trying to think of a, uh, uh, not wet hot American summer. Cause he's just ridiculous in that. And that's also funny, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, but I just, I love when I see him doing a normal thing. Uh, like, well, I, <laughs> I love you, man is a perfect example of that. So much of what he's doing that is so like silly and ridiculous because it's not normal, but to him it is. And you, and you get it, like you believe his character and you believe that it's normal to him. And, but it's still funny that he's, he's, doesn't sort of realize that what he's saying and doing is kind of funny and silly. And, you know, he's like, he's not in on his own jokes in other words, you know? Right. Um, I think that's a testament to the writing staff. Like, I mean, a lot of the cast members have talked about the fact that Greg Daniels wanted the actors to be a part of the writing process. They wanted to inform the character studies and in, inform performance and have backstories. And they had a show Bible with all the stuff and like and they, they've talked about after that, like nobody does that. No writer wants to hear your fucking opinion about the character that they wrote, <laughs> except for on the, and it was like a very unique situation and it kind of spoiled all these kind of uh, no name actors at the, at the, the time mm-hmm. where they just didn't, that wasn't a thing, but he, they really wanted those characters to be written in kind of in conversation between the writing staff. And and that's why, I mean, Lieberstein and Kaling and Novak were all writers and season regulars. I mean, like both on screen and behind the pen, like, and that was, it, 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 it's a testament. Like those are really well fleshed out characters. And I think that that helps because the people playing them also had an onus on how they were written and how, how they were going to be portrayed. And I, I mean, with, with Steve Carell, like writing to his, his strengths, I think that's, that's what they did for all of those characters. And it's, it's great. So, so who doesn't like, well, is it Angelo or D'Angelo? I forget. D'Angelo. D'Angelo Vicker. Like I, I follow like office memes, like the hashtag on Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Instagram. And it's a big thing where it's like, uh, who's the worst and it's like Nelly and then uh, D'Angelo. And it's like, 
how who who carries through the last season and it's like dwight is the only reason to watch the last season like there's a very like there's hard lines drawn i don't know anybody specifically but like people don't like d'angelo always like one was like my face when d'angelo starts singing at the end of uh the the 20 or 500 25,600 minutes that one like and it's just like a cringe face like Mm -hmm. i i yeah and there's there's like those those metrics of like i i'm such an office fan that i'll i'll watch scott's tots all the way through (laughs) like (laughs) it's definitely one that i skip like that one is really yeah it just sucks and there's nothing redeeming about it like even though he's like okay i'll write you this check it's just like that like you're trying but like it's also like i think it's an important kind of like fuck you white savior complex Mm. so i think it's important as a people pop culture for that but it's so fucking it's it's like evil and cruel like it's so it's it's really hard to watch it it, it's it's maybe the cringy i mean i watch fucking disemboweling horror movies and i'd rather sit through that than this like it it yeah, it's it's, and it's the thing because you you know Michael wanted to do good, yeah, and, but he had so many opportunities. Like it's irredeemable. I, I think they give him too much of a pass at the end of that episode for Aaron to to like sing the like it just it it dances on the graves of all those kids' hopes and dreams. Yeah. I it, yeah, I think it's also a shitty thing too, where it's just like you know. Oh, but look on the bright side. They all graduated. And it's just like, yeah, like, you know, they they might have graduated anyway. And it's like, why, you know, like, or if they if they did work so hard to graduate, it was because they knew they had something to move on to, you know, whereas like, you know, if that is part of it, where it's like, why bother doing well in college? I know, I mean, in high school, I know I can't afford college, you know, and it's like, okay, now you have a, you know, high school diploma, but it's like, so what like oh you know and i mean maybe in the meantime some of them could have been applying for like loans and sh- and, and scholarships and shit and they maybe they didn't oh my, my college is paid for so they, they, they missed out on that you know? and that's it's the thing like, like i am so i'm too close to student debt as a victim of it <laughs> as a willing participant in it that the the reality i can't suspend my disbelief like it's going to be okay it's not going to be okay for these kids like and it, it's also like this is way too fucking late in the game for you to drop this bomb on them because they're graduating like the next week. So financial aid time is bye bye. Like yeah. applying for shit is is over. They've already applied and could have said no to scholarships at this point. Like, I'm, I don't know if I'm too close to it, but I also think it's one of the most cringy things ever written. And I, 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 I guess I should I haven't watched the episode commentary for that one i don't know if they did one but i'd be really interested to hear like yeah what the yeah i mean it's it's the one irredeemable michael scott moment re like you can kind of explain the rest of his buffoonery away where you don't know any better but this this is just so actively abhorrent yeah well plus everything else he's doing is pretty much affecting adults yeah. on a you know kind of like you know you know and some of what he's saying may be quote-unquote offensive but it's like okay you're you're an adult you know you can you can take it like here here's a, a you know an entire like class of kids 
who is just like, you know, didn't know any better and are, you know, actually had their, their lives kind of, you know, set on a different course, you know, like yeah. it's not, you know, it's not just like, Oh, I said this thing I shouldn't have that was maybe off color or inappropriate or whatever. It was just like, yeah, you, you fucked up. <laughs> and I, I mean, kudos to them for, for writing it, I guess. Like I, it, I, I think it's important that it exists as an example yeah. of like how cringy you can go. But it's also like, what? How do we like this character again? Like, and I think that's, yeah. I either stopped. I think I stopped watching before that episode, and I can't remember where I would have stopped when I first stopped. Mm -hmm. Then I remember watching that for the first time, and I think it was on DVD. I was like, "Oh God, I've never seen this before. This is awful." Okay. So let's do yeah. do since since it's it's nearing pizza time or or food. I always assume it's pizza, <laughs> but let's do a quick uh, great idea that doesn't go anywhere. Who would you have cast as the new boss out of anybody? Not not just who they like interviewed in the show, but on oh, okay. the office. Who would you have cast as the new new boss? Well, this just popped into my head. It's not like um, a thorough answer, and I think it more came about for other other casting reasons but uh patrick stewart i think would be would be interesting <laughs> oh that would have been fucking incredible because <laughs> i feel like you could you could have a ton of and the reason he popped into my head is because when you talk about casting back you know years ago when when me and my best friend used to talk about casting the x-men movies like patrick stewart you know he's always he's got to play professor x yeah. so I like my brain made that connection like oh no brainer casting Patrick Stewart it's like no that's not that but it's like wait a minute <laughs> oh my but like God. I feel like you can have like little little nods to next generation you yeah. know and like you just come in like full Picard like, like yeah <laughs> that would be so great and he, he would be the complete opposite of Michael just like like competent confident nurturing no law oh, there would be no show it would be too perfect <laughs> oh it would be so great to have like dwight as the number two he would yeah. be number one he would right. be Riker to who yeah. is picard and he'd have to play it like he doesn't recognize him from star trek what the fuck that would be so good <laughs> i don't even want to come up with one that's so good <laughs> Well, I, I think my thought, like, I went to Bill Hader. But, oh, like, that would be weird. Yeah. Hader did, he was the, the new captain for, like, 45 minutes on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? Because he, he came in and then has a heart attack and dies. Oh, I don't remember sees, that. Yeah, he he's only in, like, an episode or two. Because I think Holt, Holt gets transferred to, like, uh, marketing and communication or, like, like uh, uh, community outreach or something. So oh, he gets right. To, because once once time is over, once yeah. takes him out of that position and and saddles him, and t- he takes Gina with her, him, and then it's it's Bill Hader is the first new captain, and he has like the fucking app that that has the uh, alarm, so it, it like rings every time something should have been done and how far they are behind. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I, I just got to rewatch that show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Patrick Sue is such a good. I I really would I think it would have been interesting to see Daryl as the boss because hmm. I I liked I liked Andy for 
that first season. And then he went over like away to nature camp or whatever and became like a shittier Michael. Yeah. I think, I think if they continued to write him earnestly, I think I, I would have liked him more. And it, it's hard to, to champion him after being such a shit bird to, to Aaron yeah. and, and abusing his power and going away and, and not working and everybody doing really well without his influence as the boss and then coming back and yeah. taking credit for it. Yeah, when Angela gives him that bonus check because they had such a good quarter while he was gone, he's like, yeah. cool, thanks. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And then the whole thing about like uh, Nelly taking his job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Spader was a really interesting force on that show. I'm not. Yeah, I, I really liked him. I yeah. Mean, I, I liked that I didn't like him. <laughs> right. No, I think that was that was interesting. And I, I mean, I love James Spader man is great i'm the fucking lizard king like so great like insane but i'm trying to like patrick stewart is such a good choice though that is just so out of left field i don't know that i can think of anybody like in the same vein no that that's it man that that's the choice i i'm so <laughs> it or went guess, nowhere but it's great no don't do it, it. i was also thinking if you wanted to go the opposite direction you could have um the the, the character glenn from superstore be transferred mm. and work there like i think it'd be funny you know it'd be it'd be the opposite direction like someone who's like even you know super cartoony not like normal but silly like just a cartoon you know yeah and it, it would also be fun if you kind of tie it together like those two shows operate in the same universe. That would be my other thing. Is, yeah, if you have a character from another show, like crossover to that show. Oh, I was thinking, what's his name? The guy from Three's Company who had passed John away. Ritter. Yeah, John Ritter. I, I love John Ritter. I, yeah. I really liked Eight Simple Rules, even though that show is like really fucked up and like misogynistic. Like I liked him on that show as the dad. He was really fun. Like, and really funny like was a physical comedian and like a really good comedian afterward like he would have been an interesting i don't know i think he would have been in the conversation for that show maybe when when it was starting if he was still alive mm-hmm. or fucking robin robin williams would have been yeah no i patrick that patrick stewart's the fucking answer man like that that's <laughs> that was the one <laughs> I, I i'm god just like the the dignity of that choice (laughs) well yeah the fact that like he's he's such this grandiose actor and like yeah we're gonna put him i mean to be fair like it's it's similar to like the the idris elba thing you know right where it's like you know like he's this you know he's also a very grandiose you know i think he's done a lot of shakespeare too and it's like yep no you're gonna run a paper company you know Um, just this hulking man the the michael scott paper company like that that whole stretch is really like a really great arc too like yeah well even like it would be cool to have like stewart in there and then like show up like he's an alcoholic or something like mm. like he, he's he's very put together but like he, he he's seen some shit like he and meredith are like drinking together <laughs> like, <laughs> well because he did that one show what was that show that he did for hbo where he was like a oh where he was like a writer or something yeah like an alcoholic and like it, it was just great to like he has yeah. such range and he's such a great actor that uh yeah he could he could play it any direction that you wanted or he could just be the straight man like just chill as everybody does crazy shit around him yeah 
like that's what I was kind of yeah thinking is he was almost more just like Picard yeah and like trying to run this seriously but it's like hey man this is a paper company we're just having fun <laughs> oh fuck I'm trying like to, to see uh, him run a meeting in a com- in the conference room and <laughs> or, or and he's like like Dwight has like is even more cowed and more subservient where he's like Dwight <laughs> like bring it down and he would be like yes yes absolutely whatever you whatever you say oh captain my captain <laughs> like <laughs> i'm trying to look at blunt talk blunt yeah. talk is what it, so he was like a uh a tv interviewer no that i'm i'm very pleased with that that's that was a great <laughs> great thing uh so that's it's about enough answer. of that <laughs> yeah. sorry that will go nowhere it probably should have gone i mean especially not now the office is done they're not going to bring it back be like no let's rewrite let's do the snyder cut of the office and rewrite the last few years with patrick yes. stewart <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so that's about enough of that and here's tim with the final word batman <laughs> we'll see you next time <laughs>